Welcome to episode 251 of Texing, coming to you live from Chateau de Vincent in Pasadena, my new house, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Welcome to Chateau de Vincent, Jason. Well, thank you. It's very impressive. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, you're, you, you've moved into the gatehouse of a 10-bedroom mansion. That yes, right? that is correct. And it's, it's, it's very similar to a Hobbit house, wouldn't you say? Well, I don't know. I would think a Hobbit house would be a lot smaller than this. I think it's is. It has that kind of Tudor feel, though, right? What kind of feel? Tudor. What does that mean? Oh, uh, oh Tudor. Tudor. Oh. Okay. You know, like the Tudor time period? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's cute. Yeah, it's got some character. Yeah. I like it. Uh, I, when you said Hobbit house, I was kind of picturing something that would meant that it would be kind of a small and compact. Right, right. Uh, okay. But this isn't really small. I mean, it looks kind of English. No, in fact, uh, some of the key reasons I moved here was the fact that it's bigger than my old apartment that had very low ceilings. Yeah, are these ceilings higher? Definitely. And there's more light and it's just, I think it's just a lot nicer. Yeah. So you, at first you were happy with your old place, but then you started to uh, find it didn't work for you so well, right? Because you didn't really have a good place to work. It just felt like prison. <laughs> it's a very boxy i mean that's the only one thing like your condo is very different like so i guess it's the equivalent of a condo except i was renting but your place well, yeah condos are usually built a little differently you buy them and, yeah well they buy them but tools. also it was built to be a condo it wasn't built to be an apartment apartments are usually yeah i mean condos are usually nicer they're more spacious more to it so yeah we had um you know, one of the big differences that of our place is is since we live on the third floor uh we have as opposed to the first and second floor of this apartment, of this built, particular building, is we have vaulted ceilings. Yeah. And vaulted ceilings make a huge difference because it just opens up the space. Well, that's so much. also because you're in a loft, right? Would you call that a loft? No, it's not a loft. We but have it, a loft. Oh, okay. A loft, right. normally when you talk about like a loft apartment, it's like one big open room. I see. You know? Well, I love yours because it's at the top, like you say, it's at the top of the whole space. So it gives it just much higher ceilings. And I find the high ceilings just make you feel. Like, there's just much more breathability well, if, to it. You know, if you watch, like, a movie or something, or even a TV show, and they show interior, uh, if there are interior rooms where things are happening, they're usually big open spaces, big high ceilings. If you, if you go to look back and look at something... You know, you've said that before, and I just, I don't buy that. I think it's just, that's the way that the camera is angled, so that so they, they always just make the camera just not quite look at the ceiling, so you never see a ceiling, so you think that there's no ceiling. I don't know. I think if you look at some of the apartments that they'll show, like, if it's something that's going on, and... Well, you know, whatever. If it's like in a city or something, the apartments are usually much larger than they are in normal life and the, and the, and the rooms that's, are much bigger and the ceilings are higher because if you actually walked into a normal type of, of apartment that people live in in the city and oh, yeah. low ceilings and oh, small tiny. rooms yeah. and carpeted floors, people feel like this just kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I've been living in America a long time to the point where I've actually forgotten the name of structures in England. Uh, we were sit in IHOP and uh, an, an author who happened to be in IHOP overheard me speak in an English accent and came up to me and said, I'm writing about, um, a, I'm writing about a historical figure in the UK and he lived in a house that was basically a duplex. He, you know, he said he lived in one house was attached to another. What's that called in England? And I was like, we don't have a name for that. There is no name. It's just a house. But I was, and, and then like half an hour later, I was like, oh my God, that, that is a semi detached house. We called it a semi. Is right. what the name of it, yeah. Right. So I think I'm becoming gradually right. American. I think like the Borg is like assimilating me. Yeah, you know? well, I think you can really help it, right? You know, over time <laughs> you just kind of start adapting. It's like five and a half culture. years at this stage. Really, it's five and a half. I think so, yeah. So, mm. it still seems pretty English to me. 
Really? Good. Well, I, I, being, I want to be. Justin, you're always being English to me. Okay, so. good. Just, you can all right. to that. Well, what's new with Mr. Roberts? God, what is new? Well, first of all, I'm just loving this weather. Yeah. It's perfect. It's like, I was just having a, I just had a, a long lunch with uh, my buddy Pat Maddox. We're just sitting outside, at, you know, you eat outside of the tables and just, you know, just like, it couldn't be better. You know, it's like January and it's like, 70 degrees 75 and sunny i just came i just flew back from chicago a few days ago and it was i think it was minus 15 but with a chill factor on the skin when that when it's blowing off um the lake of minus 50 and getting out of the car just walking from the car to the building i've never experienced anything so cold in my life so you see what i was saying to you yes it's brutal (laughs) and it lasts forever (laughs) it's one thing if it lasted like six weeks you're like okay i can just muscle through six weeks but it just seems like it never well they said they they like the, the guys in the office said that it, it's not normally that cold, not minus, minus 15. But right? it'll come and go like that. Yeah. You know, it, it'll be like, yeah, it'll be negative 50 and then it'll go down to like 20 degrees or 15 degrees. Then you'll have another cold spell. I mean, yeah, it's just either way, it's just damn cold for a long period of time. I'm pretty sure my cheek was frozen solid by the time I got from the car to the building. Yeah, it's not quite uh, Dublin or London, <laughs> right? You're like, oh, I live no, in cold no, weather. It it's like, no, you have no, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you, you're right. Okay. You're right. All right. <laughs> Well, I just I That's lived not, there. Don't for, rub it in. I, I lived there for seven years, so I, I know, no. you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to get my buddy Phil to move out, which I've talked about on the show, mm-hmm. and who's Phil, who's been on the show a couple times, and he's close. He's right there. I think I got him. And I've, I'm at the point now where I'm sending him texts like, you buy your ticket yet? Now's the time to hit him when it's I'm minus 15. You, well, that's what he's saying. It's brutal. And I'm like, you know, you don't, there's nothing that you, you know, you're not working right now. Uh, you're, I mean, he's, you know, he's got money in the it's bank, so he doesn't need a job. So he's kind of like, he's the perfect situation. He's not married. He's got no kids. He's, he could do go anywhere he wants, do anything he wants. And I'm like, well, why are you sitting in negative 53 degree weather? You know, uh, Star Wars, when they first get onto that planet with the sand and all those kind of weird characters walk around with the goggles and the big hoods. Yep. That's what it's like in Chicago. <laughs> Everyone wears that kind of get up just yeah. when you're walking down the street. <laughs> I know, I know. You can't survive otherwise. Well, what's funny is the people who show up there usually don't have the clothes for it. Right. They don't have the layers. They don't. They don't really know how to dress for that level of cold. And then, <laughs> and then they just kind of get smacked in the face a few times, and they start. They, they kind of freak out. All right. Aside from the weather, what's new for uh, Jason? Well, first of all, I have a new favorite show. Oh, you do. Got to say, I. I normally I would put it at the top of the show like this, but. Archer is oh really awesome? Did you were you the ones who pointed out? No, I said I said almost human. I did. I, I haven't been able to watch Archer because I can't go back to episode one on Hulu. Oh, you got Netflix? You don't have Netflix? Oh, okay, Netflix. Yeah, all right. So I, I I was watching a um I, I don't know. I was flipping around the channels like after midnight. Sandy's asleep, and I'm just trying to fall watch something to fall asleep to, and you know cartoon right you're like oh, this is probably stupid oh archer the cartoon yeah yeah right. it is the funniest thing i've seen in a long time <laughs> it is like arrested development on crack <laughs> it is so funny it is politically incorrect to the max but if you if you're not easily offended it's just the funniest thing i mean i uh so i watched it. i was just cracking up and i was like practically waking sandy up because i'm laughing oh no and then so i i told her i'm like we have to start watching it so she went back and found it so I, i've got her watching with me so we've been it, does she crack up as well oh yeah I mean, it is, great. it is great. So that's, I would highly recommend Archer to anybody. You know, I looked it up on the, on the show and um, on the web. You know how many people watch that show? Your guess. A million? 
2.7 million people watch a cartoon. You know how people watch Anderson Cooper 360? I oh, know you said this. 255,000. Well, what about The Simpsons? How many people watch Simpsons? I don't know. But I mean, just compare it. We're talking about like one of the most popular cable news shows. Yeah. More than 10 times more people watch a cartoon on FX. But that's interesting. What do you think about like if you were going to advertise on Anderson Cooper, do you think it costs you more than if you're going to advertise on Archer? I don't know. Maybe. Because like they would consider them like premium viewers or something. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, but I mean... It's taken off, and it was funny as I was. There was an article just came out in Wired that said that um, just like two days ago, they said that the the writers have gotten bored. So for the fifth season, uh, see, well, the show is based on um, this this uh, this group of people. They are. Uh, is it like a spy? Yeah, it's like- a spy group. It's a spy group called ISIS, right? And you know the 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 woman who runs it, who runs this this the, this spy company, is uh, that she's the same. <laughs> The same person who plays her played the mom in Arrested Development. Right, right. And she plays the same character, but even more extreme. Okay. So, I mean, you can imagine that kind of that kind of <laughs> thing. It's hilarious. So, anyway, so it's a, there's, they're, they're spies, right? And an Archer, the main guy, Sterling Archer, is like the super spy, but he's just, he's kind of a screw up at the same way. He's hilarious. Yeah. And so, they said after four seasons, the writers got bored, so they're no longer going to be a spy network. They're going to be a drug cartel. <laughs> So they had a, it turns out they had a bunch of cocaine, so they decided to sell it. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, anyway, that, so if you're listening to this show right now and you're thinking, hey, I don't have any shows that I love right now, go and watch Archer. Go set up your DVR, watch a Netflix. It is hilarious. Mm. So anyway, that's, that's I awesome. want to throw that out there. All right. Also, so I've come up, I, I started thinking about this, uh, like um, coming up with sort of... Uh, segments for the show you know we had like law critique and letters from the dark side and i was thinking you know, we should kind of come up with a couple more segments I and mean, we don't have to do them every show but a way of sort of categorizing our stories a little bit and uh the first one i was thinking is for the nsa stuff the uh the title of the segment would be called here's looking at you kid nice <laughs> you know? so not let so is that a sub segment of letters from the dark side yeah it's like here's looking at you kid right all right yeah <laughs> so i got a whole bunch of so i'm just gonna blow through these real quick so you know, the NSA is trying to build a quantum computer so they can break all encryption. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. But the reality is, I, I guess, at least in the, the Washington Post story, it's like they're saying that, I mean, they're, they're spending money on it. But according to the academics who are in the field, they don't think it's likely that they're that close. I mean, this is still probably minimum five years but, off. But that's making, you know, that's assuming that aliens aren't helping them. Yeah, I'm going off that assumption. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just well, go on the assumption that aliens are right, not helping enough. them. Um, the, uh, there, the, there was a France-UAE uh, satellite deal, uh, mm-hmm. UAE-United Arab Emirates. So the, the, um, it's, it's shaky because there was, I guess the, the, uh, the, the French company that sold the satellite, it turns out there was uh, US, uh, U.S. spy technology on the satellite. The NSA mm. that, would inca- that basically would capture everything and send, send some uh, information back to. Beautiful. Yes. Lovely. Um, so, so this is the here's looking at you kids section. Here's right looking now. at you kids section. Okay, right. right. Another one was the uh, California legislators introduced bill to banish the NSA. So oh, really? You, there, you, I didn't see that. Came up U.S. News, um, U.S. News World Report. Um, so, what would that look like? That they're, they're going to banish the NSA from California? Basically, what they're saying is they're not going to allow any funding for that. Like any 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 schools. Like universities that receive state funding cannot do business with the NSA. 
Interesting. That, that there, there is no, um, there is no constitutional law that forces states to cooperate with something, some federal thing like the edge, like the NSA. <laughs> um, and there's some other things like they weren't going to provide it, anything that were any, any type of, I don't know if it was utilities or things that were state based could, wouldn't supply stuff to the NSA facilities or. Whatever. But when they say like California is coming up with a bill for such and such. Does that mean actually people who are in power or just some random people? No, it's the Cal- California legislature. So you understand that the every state has two senators and a number of representatives that go to Washington and represent mm-hmm. yeah. constituents within the state. But then every state has its own state legislature that passes laws that only apply to this state. Right? So the California legislature is is i mean this these are so there's like 10 people who work there and they're the ones who govern the laws of california well no there are a ton of people there are hundreds of of uh, so they all have to agree on it hundreds of people have agreed well, they, on this. no no they don't have to agree it's just a majority rules, I right i mean it's yeah, a democracy so f- right 51 percent. so and depending on what what law they're passing whether they're passing a new law or they're changing some of this there's like a state constitution or something it's like i don't understand oh no i don't ever want to get into this topic but i'll just say i don't understand how for example gay marriage passes in Utah and then all of a sudden it's not allowed. I don't like one day it's allowed, one day it's not allowed, one day it's allowed, one day like, or or any law, you know, like cannabis, like cannabis is legalized. Then cannabis isn't. How does it flip flop like that? Uh, like who, who has the power to pull? So like, so everyone, everyone, you know, there's been a referendum, everyone passes it. They all say like that. And then somehow someone at the top of the chain says, uh, no, we're yanking, we're yanking that. Well, you have, um, you know, you have, you know, three branches of government. You have the, the legislature, you have the executive, yeah. the, president's, uh, the presidency, and then you have the courts, right? right? So sometimes things can be challenged at the court level, right? So there's something like a Supreme Court in each state? Yeah, there's a state, le- there's a state court system, right? I there's see. also a federal yeah. court system. Um, so depending God. on the law and what's going on, um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and sometimes like federal th- you know, like what takes precedence is, is a federal or state law, you know, depending on like sometimes the, the, um, the, the, the feds, you know, will say, well, you know, you can't do X, Y, and Z, like you can't sell marijuana for X, Y, and Z reasons. And the state's like the hell we can't or the hell, you know, and it just goes back and forth about who has jurisdiction and who's trying to assert their authority on a certain type of thing. And it's some of the times it gets kind of murky. Um, I mean, the, like, for example, the marijuana one, they're turning a blind eye in the States, Washington and Colorado, is it? And um, Who's turning a blind eye? The, the national, uh, the federal. Federal government. Yeah, the federal government's basically saying, okay, you, you, your states have passed that you can sell marijuana. You don't need a medical prescription. So they're just allowing it to happen. Well, the question is, is do they have the, the power to allow or not allow? Well, the, right? surely they do because like federally it's illegal to Well, I mean, that's a good question. There's a thing called state rights. It's like the 10th te- the Amendment, you know, they st- like the unlike um unlike say you know many european countries where it's just like you have this sort of central authority and that's sort of it yeah we have the states have state law they don't necessarily have to you know they're not necessarily have to be ruled by some federal So state trumps federal it can depending on certain situations i mean yeah absolutely i mean and that's why a lot of there's, there's sometimes there's a lot of pushback from the democrats and the republicans depending on the issue at hand saying you know, we are asserting our state's right. The, the, the federal government does not have jurisdiction over this, you know, and that's, and that, you know, and now you're really getting back into like a lot of the arguments in the, in the, um, 
you know, the formation of the country with the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers about like the importance of having, you know, states have independence and they have can rule kind of their own kind of run their own show. But at the same time, there's people who are pushing for a strong federal government because you have a strong federal government. Then it's like, you know, because initially when the, when the states formed, there's this big concern that like, you know, okay, so we have all of these states kind of want to do their thing. Massachusetts wants to do something. Uh, Virginia wants to do something different. Delaware wants to do something else. Fine. That's all cool and all. Until France or England, one of the world powers, is wants to start asserting its authority or creating different uh, trade agreements with different states, or if you want to even oppose them from a military standpoint, right? You, if you have a strong, if you have a strong federal government, then you're stronger militarily, and then you can sort of negotiate as a single entity. Just like why the EU, in some cases, benefits all these countries because they bind bind together and they say, hey, you know what? The U.S. can kind of bully France or Germany independently, but when you have the entire EU, we have a little more can go more toe-to-toe with the U.S., right? Does that make no, sense? It does, and it's no wonder that no one can predict anything because it's such a freaking complicated system. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah it it's, is. Uh, so let's, uh, let's move uh, on. Well, so, any more, no, no more um, looking at you, kid? Here's looking at you, kid? Uh, well, there's one other one. I, you know, again, I have read this so long, so I can't really, I don't really remember too many details, but there was an article that came out like, I don't know, like a couple months ago called Meet Bad Bios, the Mysterious Mac and PC Malware that Jumps Air Gaps read about what that the? yeah i mean there okay, was a security- so, so what it, fl- it 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 like clones itself from one mac to another over the air well well the the security researcher was thinking that it had something to do with you a usb issue you know like he was he would start up like a new a brand new system that wasn't even attached to the network and it would become affected almost immediately and they were talking and he went, one of the things he was thinking about it might have something to do with um ultra like these uh remember what we're talking about these ultrasonic sounds like how how um, RSA key stuff could be leaked just by the microphone or yeah, yeah. The, the heat energy given off of the of the of the computer or something like well. that. Some crazy stuff like that. Well, they've also been talking about these, um, you know, like ultrasonic um, things that it's like you know they literally could send information ultrasonically between machines. It's almost like you've got to make peace with river. You've got to just let it go. I mean, no, I just- think he could fight it. Well, I mean, I think you got to. But I mean, how can you fight that? I mean, when that technology exists, like any, I mean, if there's going to come a point where anyone can get their hands on it, and then, and then what? Well, I, I I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I think you either get it, you either, you, you either become cynical and crawl up into a ball and say, well, I can't do anything, so I'm just not going to do anything, or you can say, this is bullshit, this is wrong. I'm going to stand with everybody else who thinks this is wrong, and I'm going to vote anybody out of Congress or out of the presidency who supports this stuff, right? Well, I'm even just thinking about criminal networks, like. I'm not so worried about the criminal. I mean, criminals. There's yeah. I mean, that's always a concern. You know, people get you know getting credit cards stolen, getting information stolen. I'm more concerned about the long-term implications of a massive surveillance state. I think worrying about some worrying about whether Facebook is saying, "Well, hey, Jason likes these kind of products. I'm going to sell information." I I don't care about that so much, and I don't really I don't really care about some company knowing what websites I visit. How about 70 million cards hacked from Target? Yeah, no, that is concern, but I I don't. But even then, even if you get your card, uh, you know, if you get hacked and someone gets your card, it can be it can be kind of painful, and then you have to go to the bank and say that wasn't my purchase and da da da, and stuff gets mm-hmm. rolled back. But if if things keep progressing as they are, and we have this runaway, unchecked, absolute, totally omniscient surveillance state, then that's going to just that's going to ultimately kill democracy as we know it. I mean that is a huge long term risk. Yeah, is that gonna is that gonna affect our lives in the next year or two? 
It could affect our grandkids. No, not our grandkids. It could affect our lives. It could affect our kids' lives. And, and it, was slowly ha- it happens slowly over time is that things start to change. And then people look back and go, wow, you mean, you know, it wasn't like that before? Like you didn't have to worry about what you said or wrote on the internet or what you posted or no. Now you, now you can't write things. You can't, if you can't write things or email certain things or have phone conversations, then you can't, effectively, you're shutting down what you can think. It's actually, it, it works ultimately as a kind of uh, mind control, right? You accept your society. I mean, when your society is a certain way, you accept that's what it is. I mean, so you, so people yeah. have to ask, so you have to ask yourself, are you someone who's going to fight against it or are you not? All right. Well, there you go, listeners. Are you someone who's going to fight against it? Or are you <laughs> and then there's someone who's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I got another. I got another. Uh, I got a topic. Okay. In accordance with the prophecy, is, in is the, you know that's the that's a new segment. All right. So this is these are things that either we have predicted that have come true, you're or right. look like they're coming true, or it could be the segment that we're predicting things. Well, one thing is you're predicting that Bitcoin is not going to be ten bucks in the middle of 2014. Yes, I'm predicting that as well. I mean, yeah, that's just, I, that, that yeah. knucklehead. I can't yeah. wait to to yeah. send the guy an email because he's just you know he gets so. <laughs> He gets up on his uh, soapbox and, you know, he's just calling everybody an idiot who who thinks that, you know, cryptocurrencies have legs. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I, I really wish you would put money behind that so you could feel the pain of your own stupidity. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, um, the one thing that I brought up about two years ago, I think, I, I, I mentioned that I talked to the I, I was playing basketball one day at the uh, at the gym. And uh, afterwards, I was after the game. I was just sitting on the uh, side with this this kid. I mean, this kid being like nineteen or twenty, and we were, we had played four or five games, and so we're kind of just sitting there resting. And you know, we we're just talking in general. And I and I asked him, I still ask you a question. Do you, you use Facebook much? And he's like, ah, not no, not so much. You know, the thing is, is, like my mom's on it, and my grandma's on it, and you know, all these people. And and I said, I said, well, how, so like you don't want to use it because he's like, no, because it's like I, you can't really be yourself. Right, your mom. You can't say the things that you want to say to your friends when you're. It's like your mom's chaperoning everything. It's very constraining as a young adult, as a teenager, or a young adult, to have that kind of or that lack of um, sort of independence. And I, and that's what I I said in the show. I said, you know, the problem is is um, kids are feeling are 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 going to leave because they want. They're just like whatever wherever their parents are. That's not cool. Right, so they're going to leave, and so what's going to happen is, Facebook will have a, 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 a will continue to have a run for a, for a while because the bulk of society is on there right now, but the next generation isn't going to be there. It's, it's like this is like Microsoft in two thousand four or five. You know, there's still a lot of people using, but people are starting to leave. Like Windows and Microsoft are kind of dying. I mean, it's it's a huge cash cow and it has a lot of momentum, so it'll take a while, but. Ultimately, it's going to. Uh, it's going. To I think blow. it's going to be true of any social network. I mean, we're seeing the same thing with Twitter, right? <sighs> Twitter doesn't have as many users as they say they they have. Well, because of all the bots and stuff. Yeah, I mean, and it's things like right because of all the bots and and. But I also think that kids, like fifteen year old, sixteen year old kids, they seek out new places. They want to be trendy, so they're on Snapchat. They're on all these other new things. WhatsApp. That come out. You know, WhatsApp, and there's like there's one of those a year. And the funny thing is, is that like. What amazes me is that every time investors invest in this, it becomes a big bubble. The investors make a crap load of money <laughs> and then it just like, you know, dies or whatever. And then the kids go and find something new. How long can that be sustained? 
Yeah, exactly. And and I and I think that was a, that was actually something I brought up in the, in our discussion. Actually, the discussion was was episode one hundred and twelve. Oh, nice. The title of the show was Wow, that's serious research. Yeah, it was. A, well, I just did a quick search on our yeah you know, Google search on our website. It says, and the title of the show was a spaceship is just an an airplane that flies in space. <laughs> it was March thirteenth, two thousand eleven. Right. Now, I think other people probably would have said these things earlier than two thousand eleven, but uh, you know, I figure it was worth bringing up again because there was an article in the Guardian called. Uh, entitled "Teenagers Migrate from Facebook as Parents Send Them Friend Requests." Right, and he said, "He said, he said it." it and, and at one point, they said, and it was that, or one statement was, "Facebook isn't dying; it's dead and buried," according to the researchers. But, th- but there's another thing. Like I notice, like that I th- I think they might use Facebook, but in a different way. They use it as an email client. Like that's what I've experienced from young people of Facebook. They email on it, but they don't use it for anything else. You say young people, how old? I'm like 19 or something like that. Really? Yeah. So like my cousin Josh, he he doesn't use Facebook, but he just emails through it. In fact, he thinks that's what email is. Mm. (laughs) Because all of his family are on Facebook. So it's a way that he can just email like through their message system. Yeah, sure. Sure. So I wonder if that's... So you think it'll maintain just as like a utility? Or I think it'll maintain as like an email utility where kids can still connect with their parents because their parents are on it and they send messages and it's like how they, oh, God, begrudgingly, all right, mom, all right, talk to them, uh, whatever. Yeah. You know? I think after a while, Facebook will become kind of like an AOL. Oh, like a, like a MySpace? Kind of like this big, big, lumbering, half-dead behemoth that has so much money and money and momentum that it sticks around for a long time i'll have a lot of older people who just don't care to leave it you know but the younger people aren't going to be on there just like just like anybody who has an aol email address is like that's basically saying that i'm technically incompetent right that became around 2000 you know in the early 2000s that was basically if 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 somebody emailed you and had an aol address that's basically what you'd think right you know it reminds me of uh, an article I was reading. You probably read it as well. It was on Hacker News about wealth, like what is money and what is wealth. Did you see that article? You know, I think I saw it. I didn't read it. Uh, so basically, um, the point that it was the, the point that the guy was making was that money is not wealth because money is like this static thing. It's it's supposed to be a store of value, but it could be wiped out straight away. Whereas wealth, in his opinion, in his assertion, is that it's like money that's working for you to make more money. Right. So the reason why it reminds me of that is because I'm thinking of Google versus Facebook. Like Google, everything they do as they kind of accrue accrue their wealth, they just invest it. They create new things, completely different spin-offs. Like it's just more and more like creating this big kind of cloud growing outwards. Whereas Facebook just doesn't seem to be like that. They seem to be kind of growing inwards. Like they want to bring everything into them. They want to br- like they don't create new individualized businesses. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, yeah, because you know Facebook is a is a sort of an insular platform. Right. right. So, and, uh, you know, by, by saying it's a platform where it's Google is not so much of a platform. So, right. be, so it's not limited by that. I mean, Facebook doesn't have anything really that it can leverage moving outwards like that. Right. Because I think you're right. It's a yeah. good point. Yeah. So, so the only kind of wealth, as it will, the wealth generation that Facebook has is Facebook. Leveraging the, net, the power of the network of people that they have. Right. But as the younger people leave... Mm-hmm. And as those younger people become older, and they're not just like the 15 through 18 crowd, they become the 18 through 29 crowd. Yeah. You know, or 18 to 34, 18 to 34, which is like one of the key demographics for, for advertisers and stuff, then they're going to really be in trouble. Yeah. Right? Because older people who are on there because people who are in their 30s or 40s now who are on there and um, 
when and then they stay on because their kids are on there. But then when their kids leave and they're in their fifties and they're and their kids, well, look, and they're fifty. You're projecting decade, yeah. Well, let's go back a decade, yeah. Like, let's just project it. I mean, because ten years goes by pretty fast. I mean, two thousand four wasn't that long ago, right? You know, I mean, at least to me, it doesn't seem like long ago. So two thousand twenty four is not gonna, you know, I don't know. That doesn't that doesn't seem that far off to me. And when that happens. Um, a lot of the, the young people will be, will move, the, the younger people will move into that key demographic and they're not going to be on Facebook. And the people who are older, who it's like, oh, my kids are having families or getting, getting married, having families, I'm going to see photos. They're not on Facebook anymore. Dude, 2024. I mean, almost human is predicting sentient, conscious androids by 2042. So, I mean, 20, 2024, we're going to be like, you know. Well, 2042 is quite a ways off. 2024. But you know what's funny? I was thinking this the other day. Sandy and I were driving. We were, we were on the highway driving to Sandy's parents' house over the holidays. And I was like, you know, if you were on the highway right now, and let's say that you had been in a coma since 1986. Oh, 86, yeah. And you woke up right now and you were in this car with us. And you were looking at the, uh, you know, the signs and the cars and the restaurants on the side of the road. You really wouldn't, it would take you a minute to realize that you weren't in your own time. It's not that different. But if you had gone from 1950s to the 80s, the same difference in time, you would have been shocked. I mean, things have not That's just context. That's just context. I mean, driving down the freeway. Like, there's not much incentive to, like, futurize the freeway. But if you were in an Apple store and you were, like, you went to sleep in 86 and you woke up in 2014, you'd be like, holy shit. But, you know, really, it's just, like, your cell phones and a a tablet. But, I mean, it's, like, the world itself, most things in the world. Like, we're just walking down the street. There's just not that much. It's true. Buildings are pretty similar. Buildings are the same. Dogs haven't changed. Yeah. Even the way people dress, (laughs) right? Like the way you're dressed right now in that black t-shirt and jeans. If, I, if you walked around 1987, no one would have thought you were dressed weird. They this would, is what I was wearing in 1987. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but I've noticed that now in, in our, at this day and age, there's such a range of what people wear and how they, how, and with how they dress and how they, they kind of hairstyles and stuff that it, it's kind of like everything since the 50s is, is still acceptable. You have people who have long hair like the 60s or crazy hair like in the 70s or crew cuts like in the that's, 50s or... That's exactly what the song's about, the intro to the show, Generation Zero. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's saying there are no more generations. We're all that's, just one... Yeah, we're all just one, you know, mishmash, yeah. mashup. Yeah, I don't know if I would say it goes as far as the generations, but at least in terms of styles, in terms of fashions, it just, it seems... Um, and I wrote that 10 years ago. Uh, or even more. Well, in accordance with the prophecy. Years. Yeah, there you uh, go. Yeah, I guess that's the... There, there's a prophecy that, that came to life, Generation Zero. So, um, well, let's... Uh, we should probably no. call the show Generation Zero, by the way. <laughs> so, well, that was one of the things that you were thinking about calling it, right? Yeah, that would have been a good name. That would have been a better name than texting. Yeah, oh my God. Can we change it? <laughs> I think it's too late now. No, I, mean, I meant show this, formerly known as... Texting. I meant you could call this episode Generation Zero. Oh, well, okay. Um you probably call a show anything you want. I don't think anyone really pays attention. Probably doesn't make much of a difference. Mm, true. Um, well, I'm going to ask you. So you were just uh, you were just up in Chicago yeah. with Digidoo. Mm-hmm. How's that going? What's, how's Digidoo going? What's the latest? It's going great. Uh, we, we basically had our um, beginning of year strategic meeting. So, so I, myself and the rest of the management, uh, a few months ago, we went to a lake house and we basically an worked, worked out, yeah, an offsite. We worked out, did you do strategy for the next year? And we presented that at the beginning of this year in January to the whole team. 
And uh, it was great, you know, just just talking about the future of Digidoo and working out how we're going to get the sales through the door and working out what are the core features to build and just like regular company stuff, you know. Right. So what what are the big challenges for you guys right now, both technically and as a company? Um, technically, what do you have to build? What do you have to solve? Uh, yeah, let's start with that. What what are the big technical hurdles? Big. Well, the the main technical stuff that we have to deal with, but we did speak about this last show, though, didn't we? Really? Yeah. We, so we shouldn't. We don't need to go into. What do we go? No, you, you didn't say. I mean, over. I'm talking about like the next year. What are your big challenges next year? I think it's refining. So it's like moving from you know moving from iPad one to iPad five. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like and moving from iOS two to iOS six. It's just like refining a good idea. And getting it so it's really locked in and really, really well executed. So it's very difficult to make it completely robust and completely smooth user experience on every different level when you're also building it for the first time and all the stuff you're doing is unknown. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of kind of hardcore synchronization stuff and just kind of low-level distributed platform stuff that needs to be made a lot better. And that's what the year is going to be about, just making it better. Making it better. What about as a company giving up traction? As a company, the issue is going to be traction. Um, it's going to be, we've, we've just started, actually, we, for the first time, people know about us because we've done a press release saying that we raised 2.5 million. And even just that one press release, like, you know, hundreds of emails coming through the door, you know, offers of like, oh, we just saw you raise 2.5 million. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, by the way, you know, we're Heroku. Did you know that we're a great kind of platform that does such a, you know, and all, the, all these different kind of people who are giving you offers like that. Um, but how does that translate into customers? Well, so it, it I mean, basically just getting the lock surface area out there, right? So yeah. it, I think a lot of it's going to be about lock surface area. It's going to be about cold calling, but also the education space, it's a long sale, you know? So, you know, when to get money through the door is kind of like a six month deal. Like you kind of get in there, you do a pilot, you do it, you, you show them how great your stuff is and then you invoice and you get the money in. Right. right. So it's, it's basically, that's what it is. So sales really is our biggest challenge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, sales but I mean, I'm sure we're going to do well because everyone we show it to loves it, you know? So that's, that's kind of, so you have a good product. Issue. We have a good product and we're growing pretty fast. Yeah, so that's the that's the big thing. I mean, if you have a crap product or even just kind of a mediocre product, I mean, it's just hard to get the word of mouth to work for you. Uh, right. Work for you. But if you oh. do come up, you can deliver something that's really quality. Then the word of mouth. We're already getting friend. referrals. I mean, like I said, we're in sixty classrooms right now, you know, and people we, we're already seeing evidence of of principals referring us to other principals and really. See, that's you know, the key thing. Do principals yeah, so. and teachers talk to other principals? Yeah, and they do. They definitely do. And you know, and and we kind of want to think about that as well, and just think about. From a marketing point of view, like I said, you know, lock surface area and just all the different things. Actually, we have a company evangelist, um, and uh, he'll be kind of evangelizing the Digidoo platform. So that's that. Hopefully, that will go on for the next year as well. So, well, what about going to like? Do you guys go to like teacher conferences? Yeah, we're going to have a very big presence in South by Southwest. They have a, they have an education section. But are there like more specific just teacher? you K through 12 education conferences where it's not about, Oh, you want to solve Digidoo marketing problems right now? Well, I don't know. I'm just wondering, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I mean, that seems like that would be, it's like, you kind of know who your customer is. Where do they go congregate? You know? Yeah. I mean, I think I, so here's the thing, like my, you know, I, I could get into that whole marketing side of things, but honestly, like my hands are full with tech and I kind of trust the marketing team. I mean, I definitely do talk to them and say this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, tells me it's up to them. To yeah, I mean it's it's up to them. But I mean, I do. I kind of I probably bug them already because I send them a couple of emails a month. Oh, did you think of this? Did you think of that? But I know that 
you know, they have a plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing I want to ask, so you're building out your, uh, your remote team, right? I want to talk to you about that. Okay. I have this idea about this. this it's, it's a burgeoning idea. Do you remember that? Did I ever tell you about the Venture Matrix, that blog post that I wrote like yonks ago? Mm-hmm. Like basically the idea of creating a new kind of company that had pods. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that for that concept works for a remote team. So my idea is like you, you create the, the kind of the Genesis team, like the A team. Right. Mm-hmm. And that has a, you know, a Murdoch or Mr. T. Uh, and so like the, the one guy could be the guy who's great at deployment stuff. You know, the other guy is the guy who's great at like forging forward and like prototyping new stuff. And the other guy is great at knocking it down. You work out what that perfect team is. And maybe it's like five people. And then you say, okay, from this point forward in our company, in our remote company, we're going to replicate these five people. So we're going to look, we're going to build a new one, you know, we're going to find a new Mr. T and a new Murdoch, right? And so you basically create these small groups of people who work remotely. I thought, what do you think about that as a concept? Yeah, I mean, um, so you're going to organize them, you organize them into, into sort of complementary teams. Well, so they, so they, they, they kind of each work. I mean, they, they, they could, you could also do things like interchange Murdochs between one team and another team. But you could basically say, okay, team alpha, you are on this statistics feature. Team beta, you are on this feature. And then basically as time goes by, you just kind of swap the teams out on which well, different features they're well, on. Well, that was kind of what Tree, we talked about a couple weeks ago, what Treehouse is doing, that they would allow people to self-organize in a team. So someone would right. pitch, you know, the, the manager would come out and say, here are our this is what we need to get done this year. Yeah. These are the big goals of the company. And anyone could come up and pitch like, I think we should build this. I think we should do that. And then people would, uh, other people within the company would sign up and say, I want to do that. I think that's cool. And they would say, okay, well, I want four people or three people. And the person who came up with the idea can say, can pick who they want and they come up with a team, right? So they come up with their own little pod. Right. So it has to obviously fall in line with what management wants accomplished this year. But a lot of times those are kind of broad strokes or a lot of things that, you know, when you're thinking at that level, you're not thinking as detailed as these individual projects that ultimately get done, that the people who work on things like that go, go, well, obviously to get this stuff done, you're going to need this. But like, for example, with AnyFoo, we found one of the big problems were we weren't complementary partners because we had the same skill set. And I kind of think that if there was a bit more guidance about creating complementary pods... See, I don't think you need mom and dad telling them... You don't need them? I don't think... I I think things people are pretty good at self-organizing what they need, yeah. right? It's like, you know, the person saying, hey, here's what I want to build. It has a UI component, so we need a new designer. It has, if it has marketing or an uh, uh, component, we need marketing. If, we, if it's, if it, there's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that has to do with the systems and stuff, so we need a DevOps guy to, you know, or, or whatever, we need a, da- a database guy. So I think, I don't think those are hard things to figure out. I think those are things that they figure out as well. And I think when you give people more autonomy, they're a little more enthusiastic. Yeah, when people. It's just like with kids, you know. It, it's like pe- kids are more enthusiastic when they get to choose what they want to learn, you know, as opposed to you have to do this. Okay. And so we come up with a uh, project. You know how you get the madness. I could believe that. I mean, how often you get yeah. the madness when someone tells me do this? I, I have believe the madness. That, yeah. You get the madness about something that comes inside. So yeah. You let people say, "Here are the things that we want to do." You know, these are the big goals. Um, Anyone who wants to come with ideas and pitching projects and stuff. Yeah, I mean, we we couldn't quite do that yet because there's like some core features that just have to be built within the within the first quarter. But maybe we could consider that like post yeah. Q1. You know, well, I, don't I think know. you know maybe you're a little larger. Maybe you try that. Yeah, well, we're not things. big enough yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah but exactly. you know, you're. I mean, so how many guys you have? Four or five now? Uh, well, we have three three and a half still. We're just on the verge of um, 
hiring someone else. Okay. And um, there may be someone else in the wings as well. Okay. So now you're getting up to a real team. Yeah. Now it's just not like you and Udi. Right. Back right. in the day, right? I mean, <laughs> you and Udi part time. It's actually right. getting to, as you would say, a proper team. Yeah. So you can get a lot done. So then, yeah. That'll be interesting. But, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I, I don't know if I have a link to it, but I saw the article. I meant to read it, but I, I didn't get around to it. But um, there was a, and a story in VentureBeats is entitled, Assembly Will Crowdsource Development of Your Awesome Startup Idea, Then Pay You Cash. So essentially what it was is like, it was that thing, that venture matrix essentially, where people could come in, work on a company, get a small slice of it, work on it for a while, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I wish I'd had time to, to, to read it or not, but um, I'll, I'll put a link That'd to That'd be it. interesting, yeah. Because, I mean, I, basically, the, the main thesis of my article was, look, you know, one, one of the ways that companies become successful is they find, like, a centralized necessity, like, search. Mm. is a centralized necessity. They kind of capitalize that. And what I wondered is, is making companies in its own right a centralized necessity that you could, like, really focus on? So that was what I was thinking. Yeah, so I, I, when you brought that up, I was I was almost positive you were going to bring up this article. I figured that's what you've been talking about because this is exactly the venture matrix. So this oh, really cool. should have been put in. Uh, this really should have been under filed under in accordance with the prophecy. Yeah, totally, <laughs> exactly. Because yeah. that was uh, a prescient uh, <laughs> uh, thought on your part. But um, yeah, um, well, well hey, hold on. I mean, you, what about projects? You didn't mention projects last time. Well, I, I we'll get to that, but I'm going to say one thing first. Um, so. You know, you're talking about like centralization of a company, okay? Yeah. So one of the things that I think, like, you 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 need, I th- I don't know. This is, I mean, this is something I'm not I'm not sure what I think about it, but I'm pretty sure that you need at least one or two people that are absolutely uh, they have the uh, conviction to follow something through to see it through mm-hmm. right and you have you have a bunch of people who are just marginally interested or kind of interested or interested for a while or hey this is neat and i'll do a little bit like you don't have anyone really pushing this shit forward so, it can kind of dial kind of like a lot of open source projects do so you need a follower and a first follower yeah follower first follower yeah like, as long uh, as you've got yeah, those two then maybe you can, so i mean yeah you, you need ultimately sorry yeah, you need uh, a leader I mean, somebody who says, we're going to make this happen. And, and what it reminds me of, this is something I meant to bring up a few times, but there was an article, there was an interview with um, Paul Graham. This is like a, about a month back. Um, this is, it keeps being one of those things that I don't talk about. This on my list of things that we don't get to. And he was interviewed and, one, and I guess the interviewer said, asked him a question along the lines of, what is it about the companies that failed? Of all the YC companies that failed, why did they fail? I mean, what was different about them? And he's like, you know, honestly, I think almost every single one of them could have succeeded in the world-changing idea, but they lacked, uh, they lacked one thing. I mean, they, they, they quit. They lacked the willpower to push through it. They, hmm. they gave up. They, said, they know, couldn't really? get through the dip. They, had the, they missed the essential thing that every successful company needs, which is energetic execution. You know, which is just the willing, the will to just keep pushing and keep pushing hard and showing up every day and making it happen. It's like, you know, some people and some teams of people have the resolve and some don't. And, you know, right. Some may have, they don't have to have as much resolve because they, they have that early traction. And so they, they like, Hey, we don't really have to believe because it's happening. So there's no believing it's just working. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, you know, for at, after not very long time, you didn't have to believe in Uber. Like you just show up and realize there was growth every week, 
there was no longer belief. It was just working. Yeah. You know? Where so some I, people have to, there's like, there's no real traction revenue, but you just kind of have to believe it's there. You know, so some people have an easier time of it. The question is the people who have a tougher time of it, some can still push through it. Mm-hmm. They still, they still believe in the idea more. Maybe there's someone who, ha- who ha- they have more resolve, more resilience, more optimism, um, or they may just have more self-delusion. <laughs> you know, it just happens that they had enough self-delusion that they were able to keep themselves going until something good happened where other people were like, you know what, we've, we've actually put in a really hard effort and then some, and this idea just is not probably as good of an idea as we thought. And sometimes that's why, sometimes I think that's why you think that entrepreneurs that are successful are kind of imbalanced. Just like, just like a lot of really good athletes or competitors are bad losers. They're imbalanced people because they do not accept losing and they, and they're, they're not, they're not the kind of people who can deal with it in a positive way. It's like, oh, I lost. It's no big deal. I got stuff going on, right? So they just, they, they, they just. That actually, you know. That, that, that actually brings up a really good point. I, do you remember that article I sent you? I'm not sure which article. Uh, the one about um, the difference between college and pros in the NFL. Yeah. College what were you players saying? and pros well, in the yeah, NFL. Yeah, okay. What was it? What was so it's very, it's kind of very similar to what you're talking about. So, in that, I mean, I, I was just like Googling the article because I was just thinking about the, the fact that we just moved near the Rose Bowl and I wanted to find out what was the difference between NFL and college. But anyway, it was an interesting article. And basically it was an NFL player who was talking about what it was like to be in the NFL versus what it was like to be a college player and just how drastically different it was. Right. And the core of it was that the pro guys are basically heads and shoulders above the college players. I mean, there's not even any comparison. Like these guys have have been in the game so much they know every different angle of it every different aspect that the college players wouldn't even stand a chance if they were on the same field kind of thing mm-hmm. but when when you're at that level you're the top 2000 players in the world basically the interesting thing is the biggest factor at the pro level because everyone has natural born ability at that level all these people mm-hmm. so then it's self-discipline that makes the final difference that's what sorts out the men from the boys which is pretty much what you're saying right here yeah well you know it's like I think you get some of these kids coming out of college and they're, they're, have had very successful high school and college careers. They've been, they're great athletes and they've won awards and they set records or whatever and they show up in the pros and they're kind of not really thinking about how they're going to prepare week day in and day out any differently than college. Where the pros are like, you don't just like go to practice and then go home. You know, right. you know, you know, it's 24-7. Like, you need to be training. You either need to be in the training room doing rehab and the injuries you have. You need to be in the weight room. You need to be in the film room. You need to be working with the coaches that are your, your skill place. positions, yeah. like working on your skill, working over and over on your specific skills for your position. Like, you need to be doing that, and, and you need to be watching the film for their plays, finding the weaknesses on your opponents and the, right. how you're going to exploit them. You know, all these things that you didn't have the time or were expected to do in college. Now you have to all of a sudden say, I'm a pro. This is what I'm doing 24-7. And if I want to make millions of dollars and I want this career to last more than a year and I want to be around here, then I have to do these things because there are other guys who are doing that. Well, that hooks back into what you were just saying about the, the, the difference between the sports people who, who win and who don't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, 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 like the top tennis players, they were talking like some of these top tennis players. I mean, really, they're sort of sociopathing in a certain way. I mean, they weren't really normal in that, you know, they, they were really bad losers. They were overly top competitive. I mean, let's say Michael Jordan was like that. He was just kind of a jerk. You know, like you couldn't play checkers with him and not be acting like a jerk, <laughs> you know? I mean, they just wasn't, you know, they weren't balanced in that way. That's funny. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are that way. They're just a little imbalanced. You know, they just, 
you know, the kind of people who like, I think it's true. Really, in a normal situation, family events or week or you know whatever, there's time where they really shouldn't be working or thinking about work, and they, they are. are anyway. They are, yeah. And 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 it's the point where sometimes their families put up with, and they're like, well, they ran off again. He's making phone calls, or he's you know sending some emails, or he's doing some work, but he'll be back. But you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've known are like that, twenty four seven. When I can tell you with Travis, it's all Uber all the time. I, it's almost impossible to talk to him for any length of time about anything but Uber. He is 100% committed. You know, and, 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 I, and I, it just, he's all in. I mean, it's just like, you know, and I'm sure that's the same with the, uh, the entrepreneurs. Like Steve Jobs is probably well, like that. I just want to say, like, that, that's very different to you and your projects. Yeah. Well, I, I think... Um, you know, I think I've made some mistakes in trying to do too much. I think there's no question about that. I think my, um, I can do more than one thing at one time, but you know, there's a limit and I've, I've taken on way too many things. And the part of the reason that happened is people have come to me and said, Hey Jason, I got this really cool thing. You know, do you think you'd help me out when we do this? And, and too many times I was like, yeah, I'll help you out. Whether yeah. and half of them being consulting projects, right? We're actually for pay. And half of them being sort of a side company. Because you're, ni- you're a nice guy. You don't want to turn people down. You know what I was thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I like to help people. And if I think I can, and, and, I, and I have this delusion that I have more hours in the day than there are. I, I, for, apparently, I think there's like 32 hours in the day. <laughs> and so I'm always thinking, well, I could wedge in an hour here or there. But um, I was kind of thinking this today. I was like, or actually last couple of days, is like, I need to do like a two-week desert island approach you know how like um it was kind of something how bill gates would have his reading week and he would go away for a week and he would just read mm-hmm. or even like it wasn't rob waller would say he would go to he would go he would take this individual vacation he wouldn't even go with sherry he would just go by himself and he'd go to a hotel in some random city and he would just read and make plans what i need to do is set two weeks where i'm not responding to any email that is an emergency if it's an emergency contact my wife and you're good, then you're going to finish the all pro bono projects or anything, you know, just like for two weeks, like, like go through like every couple months or a few months, like there's a two weeks where I'm not responding to anything that if you have any questions, any suggestions, any advice, any, Hey, cause I was thinking of all the emails and phone calls I've had just this week of people calling me and saying, you know, wanting references for jobs or wanting advice on, you know, hiring people or wanting advice. The company I was advising was having, was struggling. I had people, but, well, let's, listen, listen, you wouldn't believe, I mean, you wouldn't be if you have people who were trying to find somebody uh, like, like Jeff Welpley, but he called me, he's like, hey, I need someone for a node project. I have, I mean, it was like, I had like a, probably 12 to 15 of these requests just this week. But I mean, think about it. I mean, that's your centralized necessity. I mean, you are very good at giving advice. You really enjoy giving advice, but people enjoy asking you for advice. That, I, I've always said you should find a way of capitalizing on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure how you can do it, but it's like, you know, and I, the thing is, it's like someone calls me and say, hey, Jason, can I call you on and ask you a question? You know, what am I? I mean, it's, at the time, I'm usually like, yeah, like I'm, I'm like Jeff called, I'm very happy to talk to Jeff. I enjoy talking to him, I, you know, and and I was able to point him in two different directions that might have been problem, you know, just as an example. That was mm. like one of 12 things that happened this week, probably. Right. And But this only afterwards, it's like, and that was no problem. It was only like a 20, 20, 20 to 30 minute it's call. The, 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 but the when there's 12 of them yeah, the power of throughout the week, it's like, Jesus, like a huge percentage of my time is spent not being productive. It's having 
either email or phone conversations about all these other things. So I, it's like, I guess sometimes I could just be like, you know, unless it's emergency, contact my wife, contact Justin, you know, contact somebody else. I have a question. Is there any project, do you think it's even possible that there could ever be a project that would make you feel like Travis feels about Uber? You know, I don't, I don't know if I'm that way, you know, because I have such a wide range of interests, you know? Like, there's things, I, I like artificial intelligence. I like things that have to do with artificial intelligence stuff. I like stuff that has to do with but you, science. I like has stuff that has to do with education. I like has to do, I can think there's tons of stuff that I It's I'd not just cool. interest. It's like, as well as having that wide range of interests, you want to do stuff in that. Like, you want to create things in each of your ranges of interest. Yeah, I'm not just a spectator. Like, oh, I just want to read about how other people are doing it. Like, oh, right. you know, whether it's trading, you know, pulled in the automated trading world, or you pulled into the mobile world, or getting pulled into whatever, like, there's all these things that I find fascinating and interesting that I would like to participate in that I feel like I could, you know, do stuff in. And so, yeah, it would be hard for me to just pick one thing. And that's one of the reasons, actually, to be honest with you, when I was in college, right after college, I was thinking that I was going to go get a PhD in math, right? And the reason I didn't is like, you know, I just have a feeling I'm going to get stuck just doing like one thing. It's going to be very limiting for me. And... um and that was probably the right decision. I mean, obviously, as a mathematician, you can work on a variety of different problems and you can collaborate on papers with other people and stuff. But, um, you know, so that may, maybe that's not, maybe that's an incorrect way of thinking about it. But that was my concern. So I always knew that about myself. And it's always been, a, I guess you might want to say, it's, there's, a, there's, it can be an advantage in some ways, but it can be a character flaw in the sense that it just, causes me to underperform because I'm split I'm I'm uh, split in too many different directions. I mean my my advisor in in high school who's a good friend of mine. I've talked to him Steve Segar who's the physicist. He, right, he used yeah. to say, "You know what? He's like you're 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 the thing is Jason, you you always convince yourself that you and this is in an academic environment that you know things better than you do so that you can move on to the next thing that you have to do because you right. have so much stuff you're doing. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. I know it. And it's like something an A minus or B plus instead of an A. Because you're like, because I was doing so much stuff. And, uh, you know, obviously that hasn't changed from the time I was 18 to the time I'm 43. You know, I'm still fighting that. It's dragon. interesting. I, like, it's a, it's a difficult, I mean, you've made it work. Like, because of Uber, I think Uber has really been, you know, great for you. Um, but it's it's like, from a, from a bootstrapping point of view, it's quite difficult right? Mm -hmm. to, to, to have that trait. Yeah. Well, I think I kind of hit rock bottom in a way that I just felt like I, um, it's cognitive overload. I've had so much stuff going on that it's hard for my brain to keep it all in my head. And I keep juggling. I keep like iterating over through all the things in my head. Like, Oh, I got to this one. I got to that one. I got to this one. Okay. I jump in that. Oh, yeah, I remember this. And like, you just forget <laughs> about all the little pieces to the puzzle, yeah. all these things. And then like, if you don't do something, on something for four or five days, it starts falling out of your brain. You know, you can't remember it, what we were doing or why. And then, of course, when you say, ah, you know, I haven't touched this in a week, I better jump back on it. And then you, then it's like, you kind of lose the motivation. There's nothing that you can get traction on. You put your foot on it, and you put your, you know, kind of put your, you know, like a foothold where you're like, mm -hmm. oh, I know exactly what I need to do on this next. It's like you get in, you're like, I don't even remember what I was working on. I don't even know why, what, you know, what the hell. So then what happens is you don't work on it because you have this other thing where you're like, well, I, at least there's other thing I know exactly what I need to do. All right, well, this is, this is Jason's project section. 
So um, I'm not sure you've. <laughs> well, you asked. <laughs> not I mean, sure we've yeah. gleaned too much. But if there was one project that, like, yeah, you you mentioned SnapLearn was the one that you really liked. Um, yeah. Well, okay. There's a couple. I mean, um, there's um, one in the crypto space, cryptocurrency space that I'm doing with Guyon that I'm interested in too. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, and there's a third partner, Dom, who he brought this to me. And uh, initially, I, I, I'm not going to go into it right now, but um, Gowan has been putting a lot of time into it. Right. And I was putting a lot of time into it. And, and the more recently, I've had to catch up and do, do some consulting work. So I haven't put as much time, but I'm hopefully going to put some more time into it in the next few weeks. But um, so I'm, I'm excited about that one. But there's one learning platform concept that I have that has a lot of interesting pieces to it. And I have built a lot of it. A lot of it is very um, close to working. Hmm. And I just need to get some get some more hours on it because it's so damn close. And I wanted to use it for for um, Catalyst. Catalyst. But, um, you know, and I, it's, it's just one of those projects that I'm going to be really pissed if somebody else develops this. You know what I mean? That's like one of those ideas. You know? how, how was Lost Catalyst session? Because I wasn't there. I was in Chicago. It wasn't great. And the reason was we had major um, internet problems across the board. Oh. Not only through the cradle point, but through the hotspots. And then we weren't sure if it was the VPS provider. So, um, well, It sounds know, like it could be VPS provider. We had a major... No, there was just general internet activity. Mm, that it was It was across the board problems. I mean, Chris, who's uh, Liam's dad, was trying to work around it, and he was running into problems too. Because I, I said, all right, well, I'm going to get up in front of the board, and we're going to talk about some things with the kids. How many kids were there? Actually, it wasn't a lot. It was like five or six. Okay. So we're actually down to between seven and eight kids, seven kids, seven, seven kids. Um, because, you know, as we mentioned before, a couple dropped off. So the problem is when you don't bring in, a, when you don't recruit new kids, and you're not actively recruiting there's always going to be a little bit of an attrition over time because either people have conflicts yeah. or they lose interest or like they move away or things like that. There's but the problem, but that's a problem with bringing new kids in. You can't really, which is like, you have, you, you know, you have to like teach them from scratch each time. They're so far behind and I'm not yeah. interested in doing that. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, the question is, will the seven that we have now stick around for another year or two or not? You know, um, I'm pretty sure at least three of them will. I'm saying Colby, Marco, and Liam are like they're in it for life. Yeah, I don't think they're going anywhere. <laughs> um, and then Matthew seems he's pretty steady. Yeah. And uh, who am I forgetting? And Sophie. Sophie. And uh, I don't know. I haven't seen Niall in a few weeks right, over the yeah. holidays, but I don't know. But I made a mistake in that I forgot to send out a reminder until the day of. Sandy was oh. like, I got an email from one of the moms. She said, we have a class today. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I forgot to send out an email reminder. Yeah. So I think Sophie might have missed because I just forgot. Oh, okay. email because I'm doing 15 things that, you know, usually I don't make mistakes like that. I, I rarely forget to do things like that, but I, this time I did. And, uh, we were, sure. you know what I've started, I've started using my cat, my iPhone calendar that actually, you know, I, who'd have thought that actually using a calendar makes you remember more stuff. Yeah. Well, you were, really you were very, un, you were very unreliable. <laughs> That's why I always felt very nervous. Like if I didn't remind you, I feel like there's a 50, 50 shot. You're going to forget about catalyst. No, I won't forget about it anymore. So the, um, yeah, because you email me, you hit me on Skype, you're like, I know, I know. Before I, know. I even really like, Well, that's because it always pops up like 15 minutes before. That's great. That's <laughs> oh, so one thing I want to say about Catalyst, so what I did do though is I said, all right, well, I had to kill some time because the computers aren't working. So I said, yeah. you know, for the kids who have finished all their challenges, we're going to start working on 
on their game yeah games a game or that or each individual game everyone's gonna have their own individual game i'm I'm starting to think that i I would well i mean i'm I'm gonna try and limit to them to kind of a, a, a similar category of games so we're kind of solving a similar type of problems which they all kind of want to do anyway. They kind of want to do a top-down grid, two-dimensional grid where things are moving around. Like, Liam wants to do a tower defense style game. Uh, remind me what that is. Is that is that like where you're throwing a rock off a tower? Kind yeah, of thing? I, I, yeah, well, yeah, I guess there's some kind of like, each level is like a different path, and then like you put towers to defend, and like some kind of thing comes down the path, and you have to kind of... Okay, yeah. I've never played it, but Chris was shocked that I hadn't played with him. And apparently it's... Well, it's not as popular as like Angry Birds or Minecraft. It's like really... Tower defense apparently is really widely played. Okay. So we started talking about that, and then uh, Marco Marco wanted to do oh god, what was his? I know, but most of it had to do with a grid style thing. So okay. I said, all right, good. And they all started getting really <laughs> with crazy. I said, all right, guys, look, whatever you're imagining your game to be, yeah, think of it as the simplest possible version of that to start, and then cut that in half, <laughs> and that's what we'll start with because. You're going to be much happier if we can get something working in two or three weeks that actually is playable than than actually than having something that you never get working. And 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 what you guys are talking about, some of these things are pretty complicated. But much simpler games can be just as fun. So let's just talk about having a two dimensional grid, and there's something around, and they can move around in that grid, and we either pick up resources or do something. Like that is enough for you know a good month, four to six weeks of work to get something like that really working for these guys i must confess i've never actually built games before so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like a little bit nervous i mean i guess i've built swarm the, the, my, the mm-hmm. board game but i'm a little bit nervous like you know will i will we really be able to get it to work for them yeah i, I think i mean i um so I, I with with uh with liam i said all right i said you know because so so i started going over two arrays and two-dimensional arrays with the guys again we've talked about it a number of times so guys remember Strings, booleans, numbers, array. Well, we because have if you want to have an array of arrays, right? And I said, but let's for some of these just start with a single a, a a row of squares, and you have a tower defense on either side. And Liam actually took note. He's like, right, I'm just going to make mine a line of squares and something move up and down it. I'm like, great, that's great. Yeah. We then we can progress into an array, a, a grid, a matrix. So because we need something to track where things are, and so. Um, yeah, I mean that's where we are. So that's what we went through. So you didn't miss a whole lot. Uh, hopefully we'll have better we'll have better luck with the connectivity and we can push on with it. Now the only problem is Marco is like three weeks behind in his challenges because he missed so many days and right. and and then of course he's he can be so unproductive at times um, because he's just distracted. He wants to do all this, I don't know. So I don't know what we're gonna do with him. I got to work out how to get to Catalyst. I. Don't have a car. Don't typically drive, um, but I think I'm, I'm, I mean it depends. If if Georgie's not doing anything at that time, doesn't have a kid, then I can probably drive. Yeah. Do you remember how to drive? I do. Oh, of course. But do you drive on your own ever? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do, but just not very often. But I'm going to have to in this new house because there's nothing anywhere near us, right? Right. Yeah. I'm I, to be honest. I'm fine driving on like Pasadena streets. Mainly, it's freeways that are the issue. Mm. So I want to talk about one thing related before we move on to other stuff sure. is the uh, is that you know Sandy and I are coaching the math team. Oh, great! And um, good to get an update. Yeah, it's I'm finding that really uh, really fun actually. Oh, really? It's kind of like Catalyst with a lot of le- without the headache, right? Because it's, it's all done for you, 
right? There's no technology to worry about. Yeah. Um, it's, you don't have to worry about technology. You don't have to work, you know, syntax and logging in and interconnected. None of that crap. Yeah. And they're already have a baseline of knowledge. They can already know some stuff. And it's easy for you to find new stuff to teach them. I mean, it's just basic, you know, there's a, a logical progression of what you're going to teach them. You don't have to right. think. Like, I, you know, I look up, I look at the fourth grade standards and I go, okay, so you guys are doing long division, you're doing fractions and decimals, you're doing some basic probability, you're doing some basic uh, geometry, you do uh, some basic equations. Like, okay, yeah. we got that. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the kind of stuff they do. And it's really not that much material you know, and these are the, you know, these kids tested in, so these are like the top seven or 8%, you know, so the kids who know pretty well, although the only problem is, is that kids are uneven what they know because the classes are moving at different speeds and covering slightly different material because California is moving to the common core from whatever they were doing before. Right. And the teachers don't really have the materials yet. And so they're just make the, the teachers are winging it this year. I mean, we, we had a parent teacher conference with Colby's teacher. He's like, yeah, they like, we don't even have textbooks and I'm just using worksheets. So they're just kind of, a lot of them are just kind of winging off what they did last year and stuff. So actually, could you get, I don't suppose you could get us an introduction into one of those schools uh, because DigiDo has the Common Core rule there and we're, we're seriously looking for introduction to any school we can get right now. You know, I, I, I would go to a private school and not, they don't have enough for, uh, for like printer paper. Right. So we like donate to the class, like we bought them a bunch of paper. They don't I have see. enough to buy worksheet to paper. All right, fair you enough. Know what I mean, okay. I mean, it's like it's a whole different level. I mean, oh. these, the public schools in California are just incredibly. So do you buy the, do you buy resources. the books then, the textbooks? You know, he, they don't have a lot of textbooks. It's a lot of worksheets of different kinds. I don't think I think they're kind of hurting for textbooks too. Huh. Well, how do they teach they How do they teach history, for example? Well, again, this is fourth grade, dude. Oh, you know okay, what I mean. Right, I mean, right, it's right. fourth. It's not seventh grade. You okay, know, it's right. it's still fourth. It's kind of, it's you know, spelling, yeah, reading, math. Yeah. I mean, it's real basic stuff. So you know, um, I mean, I I mean, I think I had textbooks when I was in fourth or fifth grade, but reading, you know, but I mean, you could you could get away without it, you know. So um, anyway, so I've been thinking about this. So so I, as I mentioned, what, what Sandy and I did is we gave. Um, we're, we're, we're giving the kids a, uh, a complete assessment. So there's a test for all the material covered in, in, in fourth grade. Yeah. And that way we'll know what each kid knows and doesn't know specifically down to the question. Right. So we have kind of like a genome of their, of their knowledge, you know, like a, uh, like a knowledge map. Yeah. And then we're going to go after the hot spots. Like what will get, what, which, which categories of things that most of the kids, kids learn. And we'll start with those <laughs> and we'll try and get it. So every kid knows all the material cold but when it gets started it's like well nobody knows apparently what an isosceles triangle is <laughs> so let's cover that or nobody knows how to convert a fraction like three-eighths into a decimal you know losing long division method you know like so it's like all right let's just get those things knocked out <laughs> um so and then uh, what we what we did is we created a uh, so so the first part of every session we do 10 minutes where we talk about what we're going to do for the homework so we can go over the stuff over the stuff so you know, um, I would go over like fraction decimal conversion or something like that. Right. And then we do, uh, we spent about 15, 20 minutes working on the assessment cause it's like a 
three hour thing. So we just do a little bit each class. And then we do, we break them into teams of two and we have like this really hard problem. They have to work on for like 25 minutes as multiple parts. And we came up with this sort of, um, uh, our methodology for solving hard problems, which is the six, called the six steps, right? <laughs> which is one, identify the problem, the question being asked yeah. specifically Two, collect the information that's given three strategize, come up with a strategy. What is your strategy for what are the steps that you need to create that you need to perform to, to find the answer Four, calculate five, double check your answer. Six, answer the question, you know, like how many yards did Richard beat Johnny in the race? Yeah. Well, it's not 27, it's 27 yards, right? He, Johnny, so, so you have to go through these steps. So it's like all these things are, and when you get these math competitions, these are all things are ranked. And so we have to get them to like show their work, work as a team, get these kids to work as a team, collaborate Mm. on it. And and they get all. So if they don't write yards, they're like penalized. Yeah, I mean, all these things will be part of it, right? Wow. So um, I thought it was kind of interesting we came up with that. So it's funny, the, 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 the math coordinator who recruited us to do this came, stopped by yesterday, and she's like, I just want to check in and see what you guys are doing. So I told her a whole thing about how we're assessing them, and then we're going to do like individualized medicine, we're doing all this stuff. She was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you do she know you like, recruited, don't you? She was like, I was just expecting a ducky and a horsey, but you guys, wow. <laughs> yeah, she's like, well, where did you get the standards from? I'm like, why are you, oh, how? Well, uh, well, great. You know, so I went through the whole thing and, uh, you know, because usually people, you know, they show up and they kind of like just ran- do random stuff, but I kind of got a little bit of the madness about Sounds it. Sounds like you guys are going to win then. Well, I don't know. There are 20 schools in our district alone. To win our district, we had to beat, tw- you know, 19 other schools. You'll do it. Well, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, even if we do well, but then after that, you go to county, and that's like each one who one of their districts. Has You'll get up. somewhere. I'd, I'd, someone should make a documentary about this. You know how they made that spelling bee documentary? Oh, Let's do a quick documentary about Colby and winning his maths class. Well, you know, it's funny on uh, Colby. So <laughs> we're, you know, because I was, you know, we're kind of going over like how, because we haven't got the assessments done. So I've been asking, saying, like, who do you think our ringers are going to be? You know, so we're kind of trying to figure, is it George? Is it Jake Young? Is it, you know, Colby or whatever? One thing about Colby I've noticed is Colby has one of the best number senses conceptually of all this stuff. Like he can think through things really well, but he makes lots of mistakes because he's sloppy. Right. He just rushes through stuff and he, and, and like his writing is crap. I'm like, Colby, why? Like he, he, he'll, he's but isn't just, that just what you said, Steve Segura said to you? He convinces he knows some things that we want. <laughs> well, I think it, maybe it's related. I just think he just is like, he's like, I got it, whatever. One brain. He's like, I understand it. But then he just makes a calculation mistake. And Sandy, I hear over and over and Sandy's doing his homework with him. She'll be like, Colby. What is two times seven? Fourteen. <laughs> well, then why did you write sixteen? You know, all these stuff like that, right? Right. And she's like, Colby, like you never know what he's gonna miss. Like he'll he'll do he he's just as likely to make a mistake on easy problem as a hard problem. So attention to detail is really that's his That's his Achilles heel. So what we gotta do is we gotta find what each kid's weakness is. You know, some kids are better conceptually, some be, kids are better computationally, some kids are better, you know, whatever. And we have to team them up in teams of four, two teams of two teams of four. And, uh, do you think, I mean, like, do you think something like attention to detail is something that you could even work with? I mean, is that just, that, is that a life trait or is that something that could be improved? I mean, I think so. I think you just have to work with them. I mean, you, you just have to force them to do it. You have to get on them. You got to be kind of hard on them and say, look, you have to not make the mistake. Like do so, you know, I, I just think you just got to stay on them about it. Yeah. You know, it's like funny last night, uh, stay, speaking of staying on them. I'm so Colby, um, so Sandy had left to take the girls to gymnastics. She's like, Colby, here, you do the rest of your math. It's called math field day, not math. Matt, do your, do your rest of these, conver- you had to do these, these conversions of fractions and decimals and, uh, and percentages back and forth. And so I go, Colby, so finish these real quick. And I'm, you know, and then I come over and I look at him, I'm like, 
and, and I'm like, Colby, what, you're, this is wrong. What'd you do? And he just kind of like guessed a number and he did the calculation. And I'm like, what are you doing? So I like do the long division. So he does it. And he's like, well, I don't know how to do it. I'm like, Colby, do not play dumb with me. <laughs> I was like, you play dumb with me. I want to make you do 20 just like that. And he's like, then you magically knew how to do it. <laughs> you, know, you know, remember you used to talk about the extrinsic motivation. What about the extrinsic motivation of like digital goods, something in a game that he's playing like, is there some way that you could kind of buy upgrades in a game? And so for every sheet that he gets right, he gets an upgrade in the well, game you, or something. You know, you could clearly find motivators. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, I could clear. I mean, I have to, I don't have, it's not like I have to write a computer program to it. I could say, all right, Colby, with, yeah. you do X, Y, and Z, you get points and, you know, you can get whatever. Problem is he doesn't want a whole lot. So. Right. Right now. So I don't know. But now it's just like, you know, Colby, do your homework. If you don't do it, you're not playing the computer the rest of the day. Okay. And I give you one hour. If you don't get it done an hour, you're not playing it tomorrow either. And oh, you, that sucks. So it's just ne- it's negative motivators right now. What are you going to do? I mean, you look. You talk to any parent, and 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 it's just it's just you know, sometimes you use the use the no you George, use the carrot when you when you want when you can, but sometimes the carrot consequences. Georgie's is always talking about it. Always yeah, talking about it. With, it's not I, like you have to like yell at them or scream at them. Say, look, I'm just I'm just telling you, Colby. If you don't get your homework done. You're not using the computer for the rest of the day. And then that is usually enough. It's like, one of the most common problems that Georgie and Ke- like she t- tells me, you know, like that's the most typical thing is the parents don't have consequences and that's how kids get spoiled. Right. Yeah. You See, know? homie don't play that game. Right. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't play like we don't have like Sandy and I are pretty, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we give, we forgive, we give the kids a few, you know, fair number of warnings and chances, but ultimately it's like, you know, fine. No, you know, that's, that's, that's the deal. Cause you also know, even though it kind of sucks and you feel bad, you know, in the long run, it's good for them because oh, yeah. boundaries, if you don't, then you're going to be fighting with them about it all the time. Over you everything. Have that war once, you know, over everything. Yeah. So, but the only thing I want to say with the math team stuff is that I still have the madness. I still want to figure out a way to like have this thing go and do year round. I go, like go to the rest of the year because it ends at the end of March. Right. And see if I give them a place out of fifth grade math and convince the principal that I want to do next year, take these fifth graders, the same group and, and teach them sixth and seventh grade math in one year. Like I can do that. So that by the time it comes around to next math competition, they're going to just be like, well, I'm not even worried about the math competition. I mean, yeah, that'll be a nice bonus. We would probably hammer the math competitions, but it's just like, we could have them doing unbelievable things. So I still have the madness about that. I'm, I'm still, I'm sort of strategizing because that, you know, that the math coordinator, she came by to me yesterday, like I said, to ask what was going on. And she's like, you know, you have to pick your math team, which is eight kids and two alternates. And we have 17 kids and, you know, within, in a month. And I'm like, do I have to? I mean, can I keep? She's like, well, if you want, you can keep all teams. You can have four teams. And then it's just, you know, only the two go to the math field day. And so I'm like, yeah, well, I just want to keep them all. Why do I have to like drop them? Because they're all, <laughs> they're all good. And also I'm like, are having a good time. And then also I'm like thinking, I want to set this up. Like, I want this to be, I want to keep these kids so you So you're playing it like uh, American football. You've got like, a, you know, a defensive def- team, a defensive team, and you're going to put in the right players at the right time. Yeah, we could do that for the competition. <laughs> That's true, too. But I also like, it's also like, um, I mean, all these kids are, are seem like they're good, and they all seem pretty interested at this point. I mean, we'll see if another month goes by, if, if everybody's interest is still there. But it, if, if we have 17 kids that are all good, then I might be able to convince the principal and the math coordinator to let me do something, or let Sandy and I do something like this. If it was just like seven or eight kids, they might be like, well, and I said, look, we got the 17 kids. We'll take these off your hands. 
we'll guarantee you that they're going to rock the house on these tests and they're going to do something really special. Like we're going to push them through a couple years of math and they're going to love it. I mean, we're not going to overwork on anything like that, but they're going to enjoy it and they're going to be awesome at it. And um, I'm also thinking like, look, I'll buy our own materials. In fact, I'll make a donation to the school. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, you don't have to pay me. It'll be reverse, you know, um, because I would love the opportunity to do that. So we'll great. see. Well, that's my, that's my long-term plan. We'll see how that goes, though. That's great. First, got to convince Sandy, though. <clears throat> All right. Well, um, do you have uh, tech links? Do you want to? Tech links? Any so tech? You did, did you show up with anything? Are you kidding? I've brought so much up. I mean, I've, I've been the driver here. Have you? Yeah. Like, uh, I spoke about moving into a new house. I spoke about the difference between college and the pros in the NFL. All right. I spoke about money and wealth. Oh, okay. I guess you did. Yeah. Okay. He, well, well, one thing, uh, there's uh, Zappos just came out and this is a, there's a title. Oh, here's the new, <laughs> I don't know if this can be a segment of the show or not, but if it is, the, the segment will be called You're Not the Boss of Me. All right. <laughs> Which we on. could have put a couple of these other stories in that. Right. Go uh, on. The, but well, the, I, Your pods stuff. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. You're so Zapp- the, Zappos is trying to do the same thing? Yeah. So Zappos says, says goodbye to bosses. It's a story in the Washington Post. So basically, and, and actually it's a term to haloocracy. Hmm. Yeah, holacracy, holacracy, H-O-L-A-C-R-A-C-Y, holacracy. Okay. So, but you know what it was kind of reminding me of is, um, well, it was just like medium is the same, like, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, what's the guy, Evan? uh, There has to be some bosses. Hold on, who's the guy who... um, it, you keep saying that because you like having a boss or you want someone to boss you? You want someone to boss no, you? No, I'm just saying, like, if people? no one's running the ship, I mean, it's going to go <laughs> into the wall, right? <laughs> someone has to run the ship. Well, like it, so, so you're saying, you're, basically, you're saying... There's no it's middle kind of, management. It, it's, it's, there's no middle management. Right, exactly. There, there's some people at the top, but there's very little middle... There's very few layers of management. And the people who mostly, they self-manage. So you have a few refs on the field that keep everybody kind of playing by the rules. Like, here are the rules. They set up the rules, and then they let people go for the most part. Um, what's the guy, uh, Evan Williams from um, Twitter? Twitter? You know, he started, he started the company Medium, right? Right. And Medium is uh, is doing that as well. Medium is a holacracy. Treehouse, as we talked about. Um, Zappos. Um, Interesting. Well, is there an article talking about all of these new companies becoming holacracies? Uh, no, just they, they kind of mentioned offhand that there are other companies doing it. But I was kind of thinking about, I was saying it's like, so here's my, my comparison. It's like the Bitcoin of management, right? You have all of these peers that kind of validate themselves. So it's like this peer-to-peer system, peer-to-peer enforcement yeah, system. Yeah, peer-to-peer. I love, so, I love peer. I mean, I lo- that's, that's what the Venture Matrix is all de- about. Yeah, decentralized It's basically modelizing, sorry, not modelizing, Modeling a company on a peer-to-peer network using software, um, what's the word? Software patterns for people. Software patterns. Patterns, yeah. Not patterns, patterns. Patterns, yes. Uh, patterns. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's like distributed management, just like Bitcoin. Yeah. But I think, I, I think that there's um, a lot of scope for software tools to make that much easier. Because I think there's, like, for the people running the ship, right, mm-hmm. it's kind of scary Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got all this peer-to-peer, I mean, if you look at a peer-to-peer network, what happens? Computers get turned off, you know, one peer goes corrupt, it has to restart, you know? So, like, what's going on in your network? Like, well, I think, uh, yeah, I think you want software, <laughs> you, you need to, you need like, which, Treehouse, they built some internal software to manage this process. Yeah. Make it to proposing a project, people signing up and joining, all those That's, kinds of things. Yeah. Logging in every day, giving an update on how things are going. You need that in place. And that kind of yeah. software is not that hard to build. It's, you know, a little internal web app that people can use. 
kind of a crud. No, it's not hard to build. But for the venture matrix, for for the full for the fully blown concept, it's quite hard to build because you've got this software. It's like a marketplace for people looking for jobs, a marketplace for people looking for teams, like and software that kind of verifies ownership, like. You know, how do you kind of verify well, ownership? See, that's, or, you know? that's a different. It's it, it, that's a different. It's the translating, like how much work you did and how much is that worth? Because as soon as you introduce ownership and money into it, right, it changes everything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's like if it's like you and I work for some company and you're like, hey, Jay, I got this um, project I want to do. Um, you want to jump on? I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. We'll be a three week project. I mean, it's like. You know, I, everybody knows I'm on the team. I'm one of the people who does who the team we work on for three weeks, like Jason and Justin and two other people, they did this thing. No big deal. But if it's like, okay, well, if it's at a company thing, it's like, well, Jason, you actually only get 12% and I get, you know, 88% because blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, whoa, what are you talking about? You know, well, like I, I thought a good way of working that out would, was through this concept of layers of footprint. Mm-hmm. So basically you say you have your overall footprints, like, you know, and, and you kind of agree this as a team. Okay, marketing represents a 25% footprint of this company. Tech represents a 25 footprint of this company. Management, you know, so you break those down into bands and then you say, okay, now who's in marketing? Okay, you, you review once a month, right? How much footprint did this guy have over the last month within marketing? So basically, and he may have had some footprint within tech as well, you know? And what does a footprint mean? Basically, it's, it's like, it's like, you just you just showing up at work? No, it's, you just going to meetings. You, no, you see percent you see percentages basically. No, no foot, footprint means How do you you're, you're doing stuff, right? Well, that well, that's what I'm saying. So that's exactly why I think it's a good idea because if one guy in marketing comes up with something that like is viral and blows the company off the charts and creates an amazing impact, all of a sudden for that month they've had a pretty high footprint in the success of the company within the marketing department. So therefore, you kind of you can kind of like. You know how with Excel, you can compress numbers down, you know, you can compress like percentages to percentages, percentages. So you can just kind of keep track of what impact each person was having within each aspect of the company over time. Okay. So well, a couple of things about that. I mean, the first is there could be a big argument about how big someone's footprint is. You might think it was a huge deal. I might say, well, dude, you just said it. We've been talking about this all week. You said it in a meeting. You don't get all credit for that. Agreed. Agreed. Right? So and you can have a lot of contention about who was responsible you for You kind what. of, you, you could, but at the same token, it could also be quite fluid. I mean, people, you know, if, if, if it's this incremental system that's just incrementally building up over time and, you know, one month's foot, because remember, this is also a time-based thing. One month's footprint isn't necessarily the entire footprint of the company. So oh, this month, this guy did well. This month, and and the general team just goes, yeah, okay. You know, you know what you could do. I mean, I I, th- I still think it's very. Hard. It's the other issue with it that I would bring up is like Joel Spolsky's thing about you know compensation because if you compensate people on how many bugs they squash, they create they lock they get optimized right. If you compensate them on lines of code, they write lots of li- lots of lines of code. So it's very because people can game it. Well, but you know, you, so anytime you have set the rules, it's it's very you have to very difficult to find a set of rules that can't be completely. Good. Have you ever done estimation? Like, have you ever done planning estimation? Mm-hmm, yeah, well, where you know e- I did for any. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. So everyone throws in, you know, every, everyone basically puts in a line, and then the, the everyone in the team says it's worth this much. So it's difficult to game because you could say it's worth eighty percent, but the other the other three people say it's worth twenty percent. So you get the average. See what I'm Everybody saying? estimates. Okay. Yeah. What you could do too. If you're going to do that, it's like, you know how, um, see, I don't know if they've done this at Uber. I don't think, I don't know if they have, um, or at other places, but it's like, if, if I give all of my drivers, if I rate all my drivers, you know, on Uber, you can rate your drivers and your drivers rate you. Yeah. Let's say I, my average rating is a 2.5. I'm a low rater. 
Whereas somebody else rates almost every, it's all fours and fives and mostly fives. Okay, so if you rate some driver a, um, a two, what does that mean, really, in the big scheme of things? I mean, you, so look you're, at it, yeah. you get discounted because you're a low, you get, it's like, well, we're going to scale him mean, up, yeah. you know, or scale. So Jason is all A and A, A minuses and A's. So therefore, an A minus for him is kind of a C, you know? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know people like that. Yeah, I have yeah. friends of mine, like, they're like, Every, every buddy of mine, uh, Jason Alexander, he great soccer player. And he would be like, hey, I'll bring this new guy on the team. And I'm like, is he good? He's like, oh, he's really good. And no, I'm but like, he's not. All right, all right. But that's why, that's why the average, you know, the, the average that people say is what flattens that out. Well, you know what it's like? It's actually very similar to um, uh, ba- com- uh, doing um, Bayesian probabilities. So it's like you have, you, 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 you find out like how accurate each individual estimator is. So there's a Justin estimator, there's the Jason estimator, there's the Joe estimator, the Sally estimator. What every person has an, is, is an estimator. So and it, it is benchmarked against maybe what the average was over time. So we can say, well, this is this is where he, they fall. This is where their, their mean and distribution is on how they estimate things. So we could say J- Justin has worked on Justin has worked on twelve um, uh, projects, you know, and each week. You, you do an estimate on something, right? And so you get to estimate yourself and what each person's impact was in your group for that week, right? And so we find out, well, like, Justin always seems to overrate his S, his thing. He's always, everyone else... You're talking when, about time estimates yeah, now. No, not time footprint. estimates, footprint. not time estimates, but it's also footprint. could be footprint. Yeah. It's the same thing. So if, if it's like, you tend to say, you know, I was 30% right. of thing, and everyone else kind of estimates you at like a 12, oh, yeah. it's like... You know, you get discounted. And it's like, well, this this other guy we work with, he's always saying he's like ten percent, but everybody's like, no, he's more like a twenty five. Because uh, so that does you, happen. People do do exist like that where they're like, no, no, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, and they did all the work, right? Yeah, you know, there are people like that say, I don't know, I think I did some things. If you're like, dude, what are you talking about? You you killed it. So when you go on to another project, your estimates, without you knowing it, are going to be adjusted, normalized based on how everyone else saw you. You know what I mean? We well, see. This is what I, this is. I mean, I've been talking about this for a long time. I, I remember having a discussion with a, with another friend about this. I mean, must be five years ago, mm-hmm. six years ago. I, I just think that with the decentralized nature of companies and remote and all that kind of thing, I think that some piece of software needs to be written like this that helps helps a team attribute footprint ownership. I yeah, think. well, I think I think it's an an, an attribution using. Um, Bayesian probabilities. Right. And each each individual person is an individual estimator, and that's how the probability. But it needs to be it. done within bands of. It needs to work within a second tier of bands, which is marketing, you know, that's, development. Because well, that's but, fine. That's fine. Like yeah, so, you know things saying? that you can actually have some visibility on. Like you may not right. know what's going on with marketing. So what the hell are you going to say about it? No, no. But but I, I understand. But what I'm saying is. The, everyone else in the marketing team will, but mm, so right. so that's the reason. If 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 we attribute marketing to twenty five percent value of the company, mm-hmm. then it, it then it kind of works because they're they're in their own little silo who are all attributing each other their their success. So they're getting their own portions of that twenty five percent, right? And we're saying tech is twenty five percent as well. So I'm 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 coming up with an idea that will span the entirety of the startup rather than just the tech team. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think that I think it's important to have the first tier and the second tier, like you described. Yeah, no, that's fine. But I, yeah, I think also what you want to do is you want to have, you don't want to work on a six month project and then you estimate how important you are. No, you want to do it on like a week basis. Every week, every week. Because the more measurements you have, yeah, the more uh, accurate your the, the or accurate of like, well, how accurate is 
Justin's estimator relative to everybody else. I mean, I think it could be a great piece of software. And that software in its own right, just just creating that software is the hub of the venture matrix. Yeah, yeah. so there's two things. Like, So you have two things out of it. You get like, how are you as a contributor? So Justin tends to get rated low, you know, for instance, or he gets rated high. And what is his estimate of himself? And what is his estimate of other people? Is his estimate of low people higher or low? Or is his estimate of self higher or low? Is his contribution higher or low? So whenever you come into a project, it's like, you know, maybe that stuff is all behind the scenes. Maybe maybe you're contributing. Maybe your tr- contributor scaler, you know, is is visible. So it's like, well, hey, you know, Justin's a power player, right? We want to bring him in. He, he usually get, he's usually his net result is he has a big impact. So people are like, yeah, we got to recruit Justin on this project. But your estimator of other people and yourself is hidden because that all gets adjusted, right? You know, as like kind of a hidden the the, the um, uh, vote handicapping system. I think it'd be good. And, and those, you know, like I said, that will be the hub of this. You see, these other guys should do something like this. I mean, I don't know that they, whether they are or not. What other guys? The ones who you're saying who are like doing the comp, you know, the... the oh, assembly, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or someone should do... I mean, if you created that piece of software and then you you could take it, you could take two approaches with it. You could say, you know, we'll, we'll do this as a SaaS and we'll, we'll give this out for teams to use. Mm-hmm. Or alternatively, we'll have this as a free product where people can build companies, but we take... We're going to take a percentage. You know, we have some footprint in your company, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- that's how I think that could be the beginning of this venture matrix idea. Yeah, yeah, no, that's anyway. interesting. Well, um, let's jump on um, a couple more things real quick, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Well, a couple more things, and then we can. How, how long has it been? Uh, one hour thirty right now. Okay, so I want to mention real quick. Um, one of our listener listeners, Simon Holmes, has is coming up with a new book called Getting Mean. Mm. Um, and mean stands for Mongo, Express, Angular, and Node. So he emailed us a while back. So I guess he he emailed us because he had taken my suggestion about you know increasing your luck surface area that he should start blogging about some of these technologies. And his wife was uh, um, skeptical. She's like, well, who's paying you? Why are you doing this? Like, <laughs> he didn't really get it. He's like, I'm increasing my luck surface area. And she's like, what? <laughs> It sounds so stupid, you know, or whatever. Right. But then he got the blo- then out of the blue, he got a book offer. So it was the perfect um, vindication mm-hmm. of uh, of the eval- or validation of the theory, and so it worked. So he got he wrote a book um, called Mongoose for Application Development. Well, um, so now he's got he had another book coming out with another publisher called Getting Mean. Um, and if you go to if you go to Manning dot com, Manning's with two M, uh, two N's, Manning dot com forward slash S Holmes, like as in Sherlock Holmes. Um, I think you can get the first two chapters of the book for free, but, uh, yeah, so it's pretty good. Mongo, An- Express, Angular, and Node. Kind of like, uh, it's like the new lamp mean. It's not rocket surgery. It's not rocket surgery. You just write stuff, you put it out there, you increase your luck surface area and opportunities will come to you. That's right. That's right. Um, so let's see here. What else? I'm trying to think, I'm going through my list here, see if I can find, uh, Anyway, talk about, oh, there's an article in NPR. I was talking of um, this was a few weeks ago, I think, but it was talking about um, how the title is "Online Education: The Online Education Revolution Drifts Off Course." Right. So they're talking about college level um, education, generally, like massively online courses, like, yeah. like Udacity yeah. and Coursera next. So I guess um, Sebastian Thrun is his said that the pro- their product is crap. Now I think he's overstating it a bit. He's because what he's saying is that a large percentage of people are not completing the courses 
And a large percentage of the people who do complete it are not doing well. So he's just like kind of frustrated about it. Like so, we need to we need to improve the product because that's it's not working. But what's interesting is the way that they're improving the product is they're going to put people in their mentors, basically, who are going to be part of the software, who are going to kind of guide you and push you, which is why I've always loved Digidoo because it's in class. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're working with the teachers. So it's not this kind of problem of getting the motivation of the people to come and sit down and do stuff. And I think it's motivation is the main problem. You, know? you think motivation is it? It's, it's like self, um, like we're saying about sports. It's like the, the people who have the, the drive are the ones who do it, you know? But you got to get everybody through. But I mean, most people who start stuff, you know, like it's, it's like late night TV, the, the infomercials, right? Most people who buy a fitness thing, they don't do anything with it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. how many people actually use it? 1%? Yeah. I think that's the problem. Probably yeah. hired 1%. Pe- but I people is the problem, right? With that model of education. Yeah. No, I, yeah. So I think you're right. You have mentors and people also, you get stuck. I think the problem is, I think it's, yeah, you're right. Part of it is motivation. Like you just fall off, you lose focus, right? Because yeah. it's work and it's, you know, it's over a period of time. You might be really motivated for two or three weeks, but then you start falling off. But the other thing is, sometimes you just get stuck. Like you just don't get something. Oh, it's like a roadblock? Yeah, you're like, I don't get it. Like, I, you know, like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And then they keep building on that. And then you, it's like, if you're in a normal class, even if you're not going to do as very well in the, in the class, you still usually keep at it. You're like, hey, I got to see, you know. Well, you can like punch someone on the shoulder and say, what? Well, that may be true, but people still get C's and D's. Right, right, They right, still right. finish out the course. Yeah, yeah. But if you're in a ma- in these massive online courses and you're getting stuck and you're stumbling around because you're like, I, I don't get this and I don't get that. And I just can't seem to, you sometimes just stop. Lots of people will just stop. Like they just like they're just stuck, right? So you kind of have to get people unstuck, and that's <laughs> that. I think that's probably what the mentors yeah. will be doing is I trying see. to get you yeah. unstuck, as opposed to keep it ble- keep it pleasant. Less and about like your personal trainer, per life coach. Like you got to finish this. Not like less cheerleading. I think it's it's less the cheerleading. It's more like what are you stuck with? You know, people. What you know, people. People come and say, I don't understand. Because it's, it's a horrible feeling to not understand something, and you just feel dumb, and you're just like, how am I going to get past this? Yeah, that's frustrating. Um, and uh, you know, nowadays there's so many resources in the web that if you usually want to understand something and you're persistent, you could probably find something that will explain it to you in the way that you understand it. I mean, sometimes like the first or second book you try is just is 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 explaining in a way that just isn't working. And if you if you're willing to stay on it, you'll find something like, oh, now I get it, right? Like I just um it was interesting. I I read I read a couple articles. There was a guy who was talking about Bayesian probabilities and uh in, in Bayesian statistics and the way the guy explained it was amazing. And it was it was like such an intuitive an intuitive way to understand it. And then there was another article, a guy have you heard of the uh I've seen the website called Better Explained? So better, no, I better explain.com. I said it's written by one guy, but he will he tries to explain a lot of math concepts, but and, and well, and he also wrote a, a book called Better Explained, which talks covers a lot yeah. of math topics. And I was actually happened to um, be reading the uh, introduction or of it uh, last night. Um, you know, just because teaching the math, coaching the math, he was making me think about like how do I explain things, you know? And um, it's fun to try and think of really easy ways to explain stuff, you know? You know, and and one thing he was saying was. Like, and I found this, it was, it was as true a statement as I've ever heard. He's talking about how math, like the way they teach math, and especially once you get to calculus on up, is they just introduce these very rigid, rigorous definitions of the concept and you have, of, you know, a theorem. And you're like, 
okay, so this is the mean value theorem, or this is the fundamental theorem of calculus, or this is the fundamental theorem about, you know, and, and you'll read it and you're like, I don't, I, I guess I kind of read, I can kind of dissect it and understand what it's saying, but it's like, the problem is they don't introduce these topics from a very intuitive way. Like, what are we really talking about, right? So like, I always remember the mean value theorem in calculus, and it was, and I remember you, we had to prove it in, in, my, in uh, my freshman year of, of, of um, the, the calculus course I took in, in freshman year of college was all proofs. And that one of the things that was one of the things approved early on was the mean value theorem. But I never really thought about it that much. It was more just kind of going mechanically going through the proof. But he's like, yeah, what it basically just says that at any point, if there is some point along this function line where the derivative will be exactly equal, which means the slope of the line will be exactly equal to the average of all the slope of the slope at any point in the line, which makes sense. So if if I'm um, if I'm driving a whole bunch of different speeds, the derivative of distance is speed. So I'm changing distance, right? And if my average speed is 60 miles an hour over that half hour drive, at some point between those points, I was going 60 miles an hour exactly. That's the mean value theorem. Hmm. I mean, that's pretty common sense, right? But it's like. No one ever explains it to you like that, where you think, but it's like, it's important to get these very uh, sort of physical, simple in intuitions in your brain. And it happened, I was reading an article where Stephen Wolfram, Wolfram, Al Wolfram Alpha in Mathematica, yeah. you know, he, he's, you know, he's, he did also the, the, a new kind of uh, science and he's, he's just, a, you know, these super genius physicists guys. And he went, he got his PhD in like eight, he was like 18 from Cambridge, something mm -hmm. like that, right? And um, he, he was at Caltech for a while, and he knew Richard Feynman. And he wrote, he was writing, he was, it was like a remembering Feynman, like what it was like to hang out with Richard Feynman. And it was like, Richard Feynman's a character, he's a really interesting guy. And he's like, um, he's like, you know, one thing that Richard Feynman would always do is he'd always come after a problem. He didn't want you to explain it to him. He, he would want to try and figure it out for himself, and he would try and develop his own intuition about it. Like, why is it this way? Really trying to get an intuition into it. And I think that's a really important thing. It's like, and I'm trying to explain to these kids, it's like, I want them not to just know, like, here's how you convert a fraction into a decimal or whatever. I want, I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I get them to feel it, to see it, like, intuitively, like, like this is obviously how it works, right? So that's different to a, a reason? Well, as opposed to, like, I'm just going to give you some theorem Right. Or some procedure. So, well, at, at, at this level, at this level, well, give course, me an example of like what you, you know, what you've done. Well, like any, oh, like what we've done. Yeah, give me an example of what you did to teach Colby how to do fractions that gave him like a, a feeling for. I it, don't but. know. This morning, I well, this morning, so I've been, I've been kind of thinking about this stuff has been on my brain, right? And this morning, I was, uh, you know, just making my breakfast or something, and I said, and I asked Santa, I said, do the kids know how to multiply fractions in fourth grade? And she's, she's like, no, they don't. And I'm like, really? Yes, because they know. I'm like, that it seems like they should be able to do that because then you could do probabilities very easily, two independent events. So if I roll a dice, a die, and I flip a coin, what's the probability it's going to be four and a heads, right? One-sixth times one-half is one-twelfth, right? That's, that's, that's how you do it, yeah. right? This is a, and, uh, so that's probably one-twelfth. And so I was thinking, I was like, ah, it's too bad that they don't do that. Cause I was thinking of some fun problems I could do. I could bring in some coins and some poker chips and some cards and we could, you know, kind of develop an intuition about low and high probabilities and combining probabilities and stuff. And I said, well, I said, Colby, and I asked Colby, I'm like, do you know? And he's like, and I, 
And I said, you know this? He's like, no. And he's, and he's like, but I think I understand. I go, so what's the, what's the probability of, of, of one half? And I mean, what's the, if you multiply one half and one fourth, what's that? And he's like, is it one eighth? I'm like, why? He's like, it's one, that's a half of, of a fourth. I'm like, right. I'm like, there you go. All right. What's one half times one third? He's like, one sixth. I'm like, there you go. You multiply the numerator multiply the timer. I'm like, well, what's, <laughs> and so Sandy walks up. She's like, all right, hot shot. What's one third of one eighth? What's one third times one eighth? He's like, one twenty-fourth? I'm like, you got it. <laughs> I'm like, so that didn't take any time. I mean, you know, and that I was easy. Couple, yeah, it was easy. I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, all I'm saying is that I was frustrated because I think math is taught horribly. I think it's a complete and, you know, clusterfuck that's the way i describe it it sucks i mean the fact that you do algebra and then you just jump to geometry and you don't do any more algebra and then you do a year trigonometry and then you do this mishmash of pre-calc and then you just do calculus you know what i would do i would literally start teaching them all these things at the same time and jumping back and forth what about Khan academy what about it like do you think that they teach like it- they just have a bunch of different um Videos on lots of different topics, arranged by topic. Like you can it's kind of math, go isn't it? I thought it? I thought it was all math. No, they have other things, the physics and math and oh, science okay. and stuff. I mean, they just have a lot of videos and a lot of stuff. And yeah. I mean, you know, they may be going different directions, but I just mean the way the curriculum is taught, the way we organize yeah, it, as, the way yeah. we've done for the last 80 years or whatever. It's like, okay, you're a freshman in high school. You're going to do algebra for a year. Now you're a sophomore and I could do geometry. We're not going to do any algebra. We're just doing geometry. Right. Yeah. And now we're going to do, I mean, it's just stupid. It's like, I would be jumping back and forth and constantly reinforcing things so they don't forget it and, you know, treat them a little and, and make it problem-based, make it based on interesting problems. Like, well, this is a geometry problem and this has some algebra to it or this has some probability to it or this has, like, I could teach if, after they, I taught Colby over Christmas, um, just remember I told him, remember how I told you I, I had him doing Dragbox and doing algebra? Yeah. Well, I said, all right, let's just go on a piece of paper and I'm going to see if you can do some algebra. Did I, did I talk about this in the show yeah. at all? Yeah, I think you did. Yeah, yeah. So he picked that up and he was resistant because he didn't want to do anything other than play video games. And so <laughs> I kind of, but I made him come stand on for like seven yeah. minutes. I was like, oh, just come here for a minute. And if you could teach him that, I'm like, I could teach him how to calculate derivative mm-hmm. and I could teach him how to calculate an integral. And I could very easily explain to them what an integral is, which is the area under the curve. I'd be like, all right, here's a function. Mm-hmm. We know how to plot functions. How much area is on the curve? They could say, okay, well, draw, I want everyone to guess. I want to, the closest answer and then figure it out. And they'd be like, drawing squares. And like, well, there's three of these squares. I'm like, what if you draw lots of little squares on squares? Well, that's, that's, then we add them all. We make those X's really small so that there's very close, infinitesimally small. And we add up all of those rectangles, and that's the integral. And that comes out to be the area under the curve. <laughs> and that's how we say, well, what is, why is it the, um, you know, the integral is the antiderivative? Well, the derivative of the integral the derivative is, is how 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 uh, the rate of change of a function. The derivative of an integral, the derivative of that area under the curve, is the function. So if we move over one little square, right, that's how much the area has increased, right? I mean, it's just like pretty natural. It's but you could explain that to a. I could explain that. I could teach Colby, and I could teach these kids in this class. And no problem. I could teach them how to calculate derivatives, and and I could teach them calculus. I could teach them the basic calculus, no problem. Well, I I feel like your new mission in life is to like lobby to the <laughs> to the math uh, people in America and uh, well, see, I don't see that's the thing is it's like I don't work in the system. Like right. Sandy's very much in the system, and I'm always like, screw this system. I'll just take these kids and I'll show them how. And I'll take these kids. We'll 
do some amazing new thing and show them like, this is how it works. This is how you do it. Like, I'm not going to... It's kind of part of Catalyst, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of what Catalyst was supposed to be. Like, Yeah, yeah we kind of got off. We got kind of... We ended up just doing programming. Just doing programming, yeah. Yeah, just because it... Uh, programming was just such a... Uh, it's just so hard to... But make. I guess the problem is it would be difficult now to have those kids come in and say, we're not doing programming. Now we're going to do math. Yeah, I think ultimately... We kind of, you know how you like you start a company and then it's like you have these ideas and you settle on this one problem you're going to solve? Yeah. We decide, we, we ultimately, I think, just out of practicality and lack of resources, like, well, we're going to do programming, at least right now, this mm-hmm. next year. But, you know, this, the math and the math and all these other things are things that I'm very interested in teaching. And it's, it's this math team obviously is an outlet for that. So, so did I talk about the job posting I did on WeWorkRemotely.com? You did a little bit, in, yeah. In the, in the about, last show. You told me, and you got 20 responses. No, but I, I, I know I spoke about it with you, but did I speak about it in yeah, the last you show? Yeah, you did. Okay. And has that fine. worked out? It's great. Yeah, it's really, really good. It's How much made, did it cost? Uh, 200 bucks. For? Uh, basically 30 days. That's it? Yeah. But the interesting thing is like it, it just made such a – like every, all the respondents just said, you know – because the, the title was Bring the Thunderer, right? Mm-hmm. You know, instead of like PHP developer or whatever. And like, just I got so many responses saying, I am the thunder, you know. Like <laughs> <laughs> you want thunder? I got thunder, yeah. right? You know, a lot of people bring, you know, bringing it that, back that way. So it, that, that was a lesson for me. I mean, you know, try and be personable in, in, in the job posts. Yeah, made a big difference. Yeah, that's anyway. great. Well, that's right. I think, yeah, you gotta, I think... Okay, so you know how you remember we 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 interviewed Luke Robluski a couple mm-hmm. years ago, and we started asking him UI guy, yeah. about UI. What is the interface, or what is UI, or what is what is user interface design or user experience? He says it's everything. everything. Yeah. And what's the first contact these people have with your company? Yeah. Your job posting, right? So, what's the first impression? Is it boring and mechanical mm-hmm. and? And actually kind of stupid in the sense that you're asking for things that are just, they can tell are dumb. Or are you, do you have a sense of humor? Do you have a sense of like understanding like what's really important and what is really going to prove productive and valuable? And they're like, yeah, this, this guy's thinking right. He, he knows what he's talking about. Yes. You know, it works the other way too, because I noticed that the people who gave good cover letters, like I paid a lot more attention to the people who just said, so job posting, here's my resume, exactly. you know? So they, they put a good job posting and showed that they cared and that they, that they thought it was funny and that they were thinking about it. And I paid a lot more attention to those people. So it does work both ways as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it always works, right? It's people who actually paid, who, who has a certain amount of respect, yeah. right? You know, it's just kind of funny. I mean, back, uh, bring, I don't know. Um, I don't know why I bring this up, but I had, I had this this company out of like Switzerland, Liechtenstein actually. It was like they were like they were like a want, they were a wannabe high frequency trading firm. They're like you know they trade for like a um, they're they're like oh I remember this yeah the wealth management and company. they had met you through the blog post that you did yeah blog post and and we had uh, two or three and we had about three maybe four. Skype calls, so like half hour for you, like, you know, and video. And I talked to the two guys and they're really friendly and they were really enthusiastic. And they were like, yeah, you know, we saw your rate, no problem, good. And this, you know, we really want to get the stuff. You know, kind of people when they're leaning forward, almost rocking, they're so excited. Yeah, with you, yeah. They're so excited. And I was still saying, I'm like, well, yeah, I think this is a go. You know, because we're, we're tra- saying, he's like, well, we need to figure out how we're going to pay our taxes in this. And then right, for all yeah. like, how, how are we going to make 
how are we going to make the difference? I said, well, I think this this project could um, could make the difference between that and you know what I make from Uber to to pay. And um, you know, and so we had a few different calls, and then um, so they had hired some guy. They said, well, we're going to hire. We're hi- we already hired this guy from. He's a PhD, worked for some high frequency trading firm. He's coming from Australia, and he's coming. Uh, he's coming over. So we want to have like a conference call once he gets here. So we had a conference call. And I had this feeling I talked to it was funny. The first time we didn't have video because the video wasn't working very well, very well. And it was very, very subtle, but I could just kind of get the sense that he didn't want to work with me. <laughs> and I was thinking, I was like, you know, I, I know the reason why is that your card, you're, you've been hired to bring in to like set up this high frequency trading operation. Mm-hmm. You want to do it how you want to do it. Yeah. Right. If you bring anyone, you want to hire them and tell them how you want to do it. So here's this other person who has a lot of experience as well who they're also list isn't reporting to do who they're list who the principals are listening to so um you're probably going to be like i yeah i think you he's probably thinking yeah i kind of want to do it myself like he's probably thinking like i i know everything this guy knows or you know i'm not sure we really need him i think we need to do other stuff i i i have a feeling i had that very subtle sense like he didn't say much but i could just tell and so how does that relate to this well what's this- interesting is um, so they said, Hey, great. We're, we're you know, we're going to kind of see where we are in a week or two, get our plans. And then we're back to you on stuff. Uh, three or four weeks go by and I didn't hear anything. Mm-hmm. And I sent the guy an email. I'm like, Hey, you know, uh, I didn't hear from you. I understand. You know, um, I said, it's cool if you've gone another direction or whatever, I understand, but just let me know because I, I'm just plunge plan up my next month. No response. <laughs> and then I email back and another two weeks go by and I just, you know, and I just sent more people. I'm like, just out of curiosity, I, I said, I said, you know, I know you guys, when we talked, you guys seem really excited about the possibility of working together. Yeah. I understand you may have gone direction, but I'm just curious what happened. Yeah. Because I'm way too busy to take them on now. I don't, I couldn't work with them if I wanted to. Yeah. You know, because I'm already working, am I helping out Mighty Hive and I'm, you know, that stuff. But it just pisses me off that, that he didn't even respond. And so did he respond to that one? No. Wow. Pisses me off. And I know I shouldn't care, but mm. it pisses me off. Well, especially since... At the beginning, they were just so nice and so friendly. I'm like, and it was people's like, they seem like, you know, people who are like good people, like you really well round. Kind of like, he's like, yeah, I'm really into skiing and he supported a ski team and this and that. I mean, it's like, they just seem like great people. And I was like, how does it work? I mean, because you'd think they'd say, oh, you know what? He's like, Jay, you know, we've actually, you know, fi- you know looking at things, um, we're going to just, you know, go with this new guy. I can't remember his name. We're going to get things in place. We'll be in touch if we need you. Or if it turns out like, you know what? We've decided we have enough resources in-house. We was really- it the right email address? Was yeah, it the right yeah, email address? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you think, because I, I was replying to the same threat, you know? Yeah. But it just, you'd think that they'd be like, it's so easy to have a one, two sentence brush off email. Even if they were totally, even if they, even if they thought I was a complete idiot, yeah, you know, even if that guy was like, you know what, this guy Jason doesn't know anything, he's a complete idiot. I don't even know why you're talking to him. You think that this guy would respond and go, would be like, yeah, he'd be like, yeah, you know, it looks like we got resources in house. We really enjoyed talking to you, but um, we're gonna, we're just gonna go with this. And I'd be like, all right, but not to respond. So you're talking about like people, the respect when people show you respect. It means something, yeah. right? So the, the the job applicant showed you a certain type of respect by actually maybe referring to the post and not just doing a generic like "here's my resume." And then you're like, okay, you know, I'm a reciprocate and kind. But it's just so weird, and it still pisses me off. I was just thinking about that day. I'm like, why does it piss me off so much? You know, yeah. I mean, 
I'm 95% sure what happened without even talking to him. I really know what happened. The guy didn't want to work with me because he wanted to control the situation. He didn't want to have to share decision-making power, have to compromise with this third party influencing the situation. I get it. But it's still, it's funny. Like, I mean, it, look, I, it's about basic respect. I mean, that's how I feel if I'm in a restaurant and for whatever reason, a waiter is paying attention to like the couple of tables around me. Mm-hmm. And if they just like kind of ignore my table for a long time, like it makes me very angry, you know? And it's, I think it's just the basic level of respect that you're talking about. Yeah. I think that's just like the kind of yeah, yeah. The diluted thing of what you're saying. So I don't blame you for feeling that way. Yeah, it's just kind of funny. It's like, why would I care? You'd be like, you know, it's, I, I was asking, I was taking a shower this morning. I was kind of thinking about, I'm like, why do I even care? You know what I mean? I was like, I haven't even talked to It's annoying how crap like that lingers in your brain. A little bit. Like, you know, it's just like you've, you just did the, the different discussions and conversations just like whatever you know because well, you know, i'm very curious you always talk about how i always ask why yeah i always ask a million questions i'm always curious right i'm just kind of curious what their response be response be i'd love to know the truth you know i'd love to i'd love to, i'd love to even know what you know but i'm just curious. Well, what are you gonna do once a year send another email hey why just no i mean it was two years ago but no like, why? I'm, I'm not gonna email again <laughs> i just i just did that one follow i'm just yeah. in curiosity like what yeah. you know what happened i mean you know just uh I don't know. It's just like closure, right? I just want to hear what you have to say. It's such a weird thing. Yeah, you don't want to be dumped by a girl who doesn't tell you why. That's not weird. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, you, know, I, you know, I'd rather her say, I hate you. You're, you're, you're the most boring person I've ever met or you're the most whatever than just nothing. Right? All right. Let, let's finish the show on a positive note. Have you got anything? Positive uh, Nice little positive thing. Um, okay. One of the pos- positive, but uh, the... Uh, who was... It was... Um, Alex Gemmel emailed us right. with a link to... Um, oh, this is funny. <laughs> there was a comic in Slate.com called "How Have You Met Fallacy Man? Here's How You Defeat Him. Or Here's How to Defeat Him. <laughs> and this guy's like, I am Fallacy Man. He's like, that's an ad hominem. That's Slippery Slope. That's Appeal to Authority. Like in different comic strips, like, you know, intervening in people and say, you can't, you know. People are like, well... Blah, blah, blah. Well, so-and-so says this. Appeal to authority. Logical fallacy. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess the, uh, the, uh, the guy's like, well, that's a fallacy fallacy or something like that. The guy's like, no. That, that was you. That's funny. Do you, do you think I do too much of that? You definitely do. You I'm definitely a little over the top on the logical fallacies. I think so. Just to, you, like to, you, know, you like to pick stuff apart. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. You talk about how you and Georgie like to chew on things, like emotional things. Right. I like to chew on logical things. I like see. I have, if there's something that's not true or inexact or whatever, I like drill in on it and I can't, like, can't that's, let it go. that's not true. That's wrong. Right. You know, where it's like, where people like, that's an emotional thing. Like I, you, way you answered me when I said this, it just made me feel this way. And we have to talk about this. You know, some yeah. people like that, like, I'm not like that, but if it's like, yeah, what's that? That's not accurate. That's incorrect. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> if you're just like, dude, why do you have to like, but the irony is, is that like nothing can truly be correct because I mean, just from a ph- philosophical point of view, like, you know, we could be in the matrix. It could just pretending to be correct. You, you know what I'm saying? The, uh, like there's the, no uh, true proof that anything, anything whatsoever is actual. Oh, that we're in the uh, simulation, that we're a simulation. Oh, just anything. I mean, you know, the, like the whole kind of like, is a tree in the forest? Like if you, if, if, if no one was listening and a tree fell in the forest, would it really be there kind of thing? And, mm-hmm. you know, just the whole break broken down to quantum theory, like particles and waveforms and like what nothing exists unless you look at it. So I'm just making the point that 
everything is not black and white. It's gray, as I always say. So, um, <laughs> so you know, whatever, wh- whenever, whenever you say, well, this is true or that's false or this is true, I always think to myself, hmm, I wonder if, if there's a, another gray option. Yeah, I know you're always looking for that gray option. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, here's the gray options. I think we got to, it's actually gray outside. It's, uh, <laughs> I think it's time to wind this thing up, right? Wind this right. thing down, rather. Yeah. So that's a wrap. We're out.